Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. of fentanyl strips, the pain that he had in his hips, his knees, his ankles from jumping all over the stage over the years in his many performances. What a great performer. And this particular song was used again and again, especially during the 2016 campaign of Donald Trump versus Hillary Rodham Clinton. And I'm culturally uh, co-opting it. Because uh, here at WABC, my back's been against the wall. And if you were listening overnight, as you should, to the best side of the other side of midnight, which I do on the weekend, Saturday morning from 12 midnight to 6. So nice. The suits let me do it twice. Sunday mornings from 12 to 6. Not only did we deal with the Michigash and craziness of Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, uh, letting his... Uh, Little baby Carmine eat cat food and encourage it. And my God, the callers, they were like nonstop. They wanted to take little Carmine away. Wanted diapers or child welfare jumping in. And then you know me, I never back down. Pimp slapped Sid Rosenberg, who has now uh, adopted uh, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan as his pal. And they really went after James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, who claims he's a music aficionado. And, boy, we put him in his place. Ha! I took no prisoners. Uh, actually, uh, it was less than 24 hours ago. And I will continue to do such as we take you to the 12 midnight hour. As you know, this is the uh, final leg of my Quinella on the weekends. In which I do count them five, that's five shows, in which WABC, the acronym, means always broadcasting Curtis. And I love this uh, Tom Petty song. I understand why Teen Trump would take this as one of their many campaign theme songs. Although I don't, I don't ever remember the estate of Tom Petty or even when Tom Petty was alive and his band members saying, uh, that you can't use this song. Great song. And like I said, I'm culturally co-opting it because my bat's to the wall here at WABC. But I also got to wonder, what the hell did Congressman Lee Zeldin ever do to Donald Trump? 
when he was citizen Trump in New York, when he was president of the United States for four years, and now that he is uh, flaunting with the idea of running for president again. Earlier today, Donald Trump released an endorsement of the GOP Conservative Party candidacy of Lee Zeldin to become the next governor of the state of New York. And I'm saying to myself, now, Lee Zeldin's been doing quite well without Donald Trump publicly embracing him. And it seems every time that Donald Trump uh, is in the news or co-ops the candidates, the Republicans suffer, especially up here in New York. This is not Trump land. Yeah, yeah, upstate. It's a sea of red. It's a red tsunami. But Lee Zeldin must win the five boroughs of the city of New York. Not win. It's got to get at least 30, 33%. That's tough to do, I know, running for mayor against Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan. It was tough just to even get close to 30. He'll do very well in Suffolk and Nassau County, no doubt. But the other big area is Erie County. And that's got, uh, the city is all Democrats and the Burbs, mostly Republican. But he's got to do really well in Erie County out in western New York. He's got to really pull in about 30, 33% of the five borough vote if he expects to win. That was the recipe for victory of George Pataki when he upset Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, when he was attempting an unprecedented fourth term in office. And Pataki took him out. Ironic on this day, when uh, Andrew evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, gave his comeback first interview to our own Cindy Adams at the 1 o'clock hour. I critiqued it, I bisected it, I bifurcated it from three to four. So you can actually hear Cindy Adams interviewing Andrew Evilize Como in the one o'clock hour. That's her show one and two. And then uh, in the three o'clock hour, I, man, I sliced and diced it. It was, it was good. It was good. You got to hear it. He's definitely on a comeback. There's no doubt about it. He's formidable now, putting together his comeback team, led by Joe Pacoco, his wartime consigliere, his leg breaker, who's out of prison after doing six years for political corruption on behalf of Andrew Evilized Cuomo and Team Cuomo. He's out. He's out at the compound there in Southampton. You know, that uh, mansion that's owned by his brother Fredo, Chris Cuomo, Pretty boy, the guy with a muscle between both ears. And they've hit the mattresses and they're stirring the marinara sauce because they're preparing for Andrew's uh, ascent back into the uh, bowels of hell. We call that politics 101. Oh, man. But Lee Zeldin and his lieutenant governor, Esposito, were doing so well, I don't understand why Donald Trump decided to embrace him and endorse him publicly today. Let me read you the endorsement. I don't know if Team Zeldin solicited this. I don't know if behind the scenes the New York State GOP or the conservative uh, state uh, party was lobbying Donald Trump, but I believe this is going to set him back. Uh, Lower the music, please, because... um, I'm going to read his endorsement. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
I think uh, with close to 21 days to go, starting at midnight, this actually hurts Lee Zeldin to be endorsed so close to the election date by Donald Trump. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a good thing. I can't see how it helps. But here's Donald Trump saying, I have watched and known Congressman Lee Zeldin for many years. He is a great and brilliant lawyer who was a must-see for others in Congress when they had a complex legal problem that was holding up legislation. Lee was strong on the border crime, our great military and vets, like few others, and fought hard to protect our Second Amendment, and he succeeded. Lee Zeldin is a winner who got things done. He will be a great governor of New York and has my complete and total endorsement Good luck, Lee, in all capital letters. I don't know. Something about that says to me, do we think that Kathy Crime Wave Hochul uh, somehow made a major uh, donation to uh, Team Trump? Why? With 21 days to go. I mean, she's bombing him left and right January 6th. He wouldn't sign to authorize the election of Joe Biden. And now Donald Trump gives him a public endorsement. I mean, everybody knew that Trump was favoring, obviously, uh, Lee Zeldin versus Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. But this almost like gives Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb and her many supporters an opportunity to say, see, see, if he gets into office, he's going to be Trump mini-me. I mean, if I were in their, t- their team, I'd be doing that. They're hitting him on abortion. He's fighting back saying, hey, look, if I'm governor... There's nothing I could do about abortion being allowed in New York State. It is the law. Uh, remember, she was hitting him hard with those ads. I mean, she was dropping bombs that Lee Zeldin was opposed to abortion, including for rape and incest. Ooh, that was like uh, chalk on the uh, chalkboard. Ooh. And it was true. It's not that it wasn't true. So he fought back this week by having an ad come out and saying, hey, look, There's nothing I can do if I'm governor to ever change the abortion law in the state of New York. It is law. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Question here, because we really don't know what your political ideology is, Matt Place. Uh, Unfortunately, I have uh, Team Marano with me, as I do every Sunday night. It won't give me my brothers from another planet. Broadway Bill Lee... That great iconic figure on loan to us from WCBS-FM went down to check on his condo in Fort Myers. Uh, You know, him and his bud, Warner Wolf. Warner Wolf survived the uh, terrible uh, hurricane down there, but uh, Broadway Billy had to go down and make sure this weekend that everything was copacetic. I understand. I see some pictures here. He was playing shuffleboard with Warner Wolf against some Canadians. You know, Canadians, they flock down there. They're the shuffleboard champions there. But apparently Broadway Billy and uh, Warner Wolf finished third in a tournament in Lee County. Imagine, they still played shuffleboard. The damn place is like half underwater. They're like addicted to shuffleboard. He'll be back with us next weekend. And um, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, who is always on loan to uh, the worst side of the other side of Midnight, the Frank Morano Show, got to listen to it Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5 in the morning. Because they have uh, styling and profiling, Ken, uh, as their phone screener, who uh, 
Three out of five days can find WABC. The other two, he lives in eastern Pennsylvania, right near Larry Holmes. He crosses the border over the bridge, the river to Phillipsburg, and then somehow he gets lost. Two out of the five days. I mean, this guy's a real stunard, huh? So Avery is always on loan, and the moment he comes in here, he gets mistreated by the Frank Morano crew, especially Frank. Couldn't be more caustic to him. And, of course, uh, the guy who was in charge of the overnight crew, uh, Alex, the producer, was such uh, a schnoz up to talk us to Frank Morano. I mean, he gives new meaning to the term brown nose because he's always adding on to that luster. Let me tell you something. Always, always. But I got to say, I can make use of you, um, Matt Blaze. Boy, I know you're an alias. Uh, that's an alias. I know. There's no person with a name like that, right? You must be the fugitive. I mean, they had a great TV pr- program. I mean, for anybody out there who knows uh, who starred in The Fugitive in the 60s, you call up now, you get a Curtis Lebo booby prize. Might as well give them away now because Frank Morano has alligator arms. You'll never see uh, any kind of booby prize. He's always welching on everything he promises you, whereas I give away the store, the WABC store. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Who played the fugitive on TV? Because I'm, I'm telling you, if you remember that actor, he's a spitting image of Matt Blaze. Matt Blaze could easily be his son. And I swear, I go to HR and I say, you know, we really ought to do a background check on this board operator, Matt Blaze. He's probably got multiple aliases. What kind of a guy would have a name, Matt Blaze? But he claims that he has been a DJ. That's how he multitasks and uh, hustles. That's his side hustle. So I'm figuring with like 21 days left in November 8th, starting tonight at 12 midnight when Dominic Carter comes to the airwaves. What do you think, Matt Blaze? We uh, start a political club, a nightclub. You know, since nightlife uh, not doing too well in New York City, and we could even invite Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. He'll be there. But we play only political kind of music that would attract both sides. So, for instance, I think we would start out with the jam about Brandon. This is the clean version. This is, we've edited it. It's the clean version. It's not the profane version. But I want you to hear the beat, and I really think it would have people up on their feet. Let's go, Brandon. I keep it drawn like I'm the can. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Pan and the game is pan. Hey, man, let's go, Brandon. You ask questions, they stop banning. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. I keep it drawn like I'm the I'm a man of 
God, I can never let's fold. Let's go, Bram. I keep a like I'm the king. Hey, hey, let's go, Bram. That's true. Now, that's, that's a good jam. Now, put aside your political ideology. If you didn't listen to the words, and oftentimes when you're listening to a jam, you're going with the beat. You're going with the flow of the beat. Matt Blaze, uh, people would be up on their feet, I think, to that song. What do you think? Absolutely. I think even Democrats, Bidenites, would be up until they kept hearing over and over. You know, when they hear Trump's voice, they might actually say, no, nah, that's it, at the end. But that is a damn good jam. That is a solid club jam about Brandon. Clean version. We, we, we cleaned it up. The original version came out of the Dirty South, man. You wouldn't need Fells, Naptha Soap, or Rokish for the Jews uh, to wash their mouth out because, man, those F-bombs were flying fast and furiously. So I would say that's the kind of song we start with, right? That's an opening night song right there. And then we use some of the cuts of President Joe Biden, especially this classic, which I think also even hardcore Democrats, liberals, progressives, those who watch MSNBC, they'd start tapping their feet. I'd like to be able to. Anyway. I'm my mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. My mind's going blank now. Dems would be up on their feet, right? That's Joe Biden. Joe Biden was uh, emceeing there, right? Battle of the MCs, right? This would be uh, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. But those are two damn good songs. And now the one that causes my youngest son, Hunter, nightmares. He's heard this a few times, and he is run under the Castro convertible hiding, asking his mother, why, why, why does Trump keep calling out my name. Why does he claim that I owe a billion dollars? Now think of it. Where's Hunter? Okay, get, get it. So where is Hunter? I want to see Hunter ask these questions. Hunter, you know nothing about energy. You know nothing about China. You know nothing about anything, frankly. Hunter, you're a loser. Why did you get $1.5 billion, Hunter?
And your father was never considered smart. He was never considered a good senator. He was only a good vice president because he understood how to kiss Barack Obama's ass. I think even uh, Barack and Michelle would be up on the floor to that. Come on, those are good. Come on, look, Matt Blaze, you can be the DJ. I'm going to open up the political club. Everybody knows I used to club uh, back in the 70s, even when the Son of Sam was out there. And women were afraid to go to clubs, especially after-hours clubs, because he was out gunning for them. And the only thing you came across when you went to the club were guys, and I wasn't into guys, so... uh, Plus, I smelled like French fries and burgers, uh, having come from McDonald's, where I was a night manager. So, boy, that was miserable. That was horrible for the nightclub business. Even the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, would not have been able to revive the club business, the nightclub business, when the son of Sam was terrorizing New York City for an entire year. Nobody was going out. And he was gunning for women with dark hair. It's the first time in my life I ever saw African-American women with uh, peroxide queens with blonde hair. I mean, even they were afraid, thinking like, well, hair's dark. (laughs) He might try to shoot and kill us, too. One guy had an entire city paralyzed. The greatest police department in the world was impotent. Because there was no A-team then. A-beam was the mayor. Once again, our police department, there is no 18 now. We're going to get into that later on. But I'm wondering what some of you think about my club idea. Now, you see, if this were Frank Morano, he'd be wanting you to invest in it, running a Ponzi scheme like he does on his show. Yeah, he's going to end up getting locked up. There's no doubt about it. The FCC is going to take Frank Morano out of here in chains and shackles with all the scams he runs on the radio. Especially shilling like he does, snoring from the Borgata in Atlantic City and getting all of you to go and follow in his footsteps and shoot craps and lose everything he got. Meantime, he gets padded. He goes to the Borgata, right? They give him an au pair free of charge for baby Carmine. His wife, Rachel, has an expense account she can shop till she drops. And all Frank Morano has to do is just losing craps, which is a guarantee. And, man, I'm telling you, he gets so many of you suckers to go, too. Let's straighten him out one day. One day there'll be an investigation, and all of a sudden they'll say, John, Marco, can you help me? And they'll say, Frank who? Frank what? Nah, nah, we don't want to get in trouble with the FCC. Uh, nah, our license, we're not giving up our license. That's like platinum, right? I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, he's an old-fashioned talk radio host. They all used to snore. The king of talk radio, Bob Grant, was the biggest snorer of all. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Steve is out in Southampton, which is where the Cuomo compound is, where they have hit the mattresses. They're stirring the marinara sauce as they plan the return of Andrew Evilized Como, King Como II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta, King Como I. Steve, uh, what do you have to say for having been on the telephone for so long? 
Well, you asked uh, who play the fugitive. That is correct. That is the Curtis Lebo booby prize question of the night. And the, and the fugitive was played by David Jansen. Absolutely, Jack Diddley squat correct. And before I hang up and get all my swag, which should be super amazing amount of swag, I thought I should tell you that the one thing you haven't focused on, why people should vote for Zeldin, and I'm traditionally a Democrat, is that he's going to screw up the entire ecosystem of New York. Uh, No, sorry, he's going to neutralize the entire ecosystem, screwing up by Hochul of having um, congestion pricing is going to be a disaster. Uh, Steve, you were, you were great on the trivia, but you really sucked when you started. He's going to screw up the ecosystem of New York. Yeah, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell Zeldin. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you elect Zeldin, he'll screw up the ecosystem of New York. He had a Joe Biden moment, right? Steve, you know, it's in that air out in Southampton telling you, but uh, make sure Ken... What a still nod, Ken, is printed out in nice block letters for our director of merch, Jake the Snake Roberts, who's another still nod. I mean, they, all they do is hire still nods here. You got check, double, it's like I'm at NASA waiting for a space launch at Cape Canaveral. It'll never be Cape Kennedy to me. Cape Canaveral, I got to check, double check. These guys are like, print, what's printing? What script writing? What? What? No, I type it, you know, on my smartphone because I'm not smart, so it makes me appear to be smart. That's Ken. That's Jake the Snake Roberts. My number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Susan in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Okay. Um, not Well, the endorsement by Donald Trump uh, for Lee Zeldin um, number one, Donald Trump won about 95% of the counties in New York State. Now, granted, the urban areas, which are, you know, heavily minority and heavily Democrat, now they are being hit the worst by these Democratic policies. And the number one thing many of them, besides crime, is education. Now, I, I understand, but Susan, ask, let's get let's get real uh, here. Uh, uh, New York, you got to win, uh, Susan. You got to win New York City. You got to get thirty to thirty-three percent of the vote in New York City, or Lee Zeldin can forget it and go back into retirement and wait to run maybe another time or for another office. Having Donald Trump endorse you is not helping you get thirty to thirty-three percent of the vote in New York City, Susan. That's that's just a fact of life. Will you let me continue on the charter school issue? No, Which- no, no, no. It's just avoiding this. The charter school. Nobody's even going to think of that. All these Dems, right? These Dems that are like, maybe, yeah, he seems a lot better than Holcomb. Why did Trump endorse him with three weeks to go? Everybody knew he was a Trumper. Why re-accentuate it? Trump is going to cost them the election. Because he wants the limelight. He wants the headlines. He's the peacock. You know, he's the Sid Rosenberg of politics. He wants the limelight. It's all about I. It's all about me. It's all about Donald Trump. This does not help Lee Zeldin. He was going to win all the Trump votes anyway. So announcing, that's my boy, 
Lee Zeldin. Now you're Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. You're like, get that now. Turn that into an ad. Oh my gosh. What did Lee what did Lee Zeldin do to Donald Trump to deserve this, right? What? What did he do? Maybe he didn't send him a Hanukkah card. I mean, I don't know. A Christmas card. How did he disparage him? This is the worst possible thing that could happen to the Lee Zeldin candidacy with three weeks to go. Donald Trump is now going to my boy is Lee Zeldin. Get that tape. Get that tape. Run it on TV. Wow. They'll drop it. Boom, boom, boom. I'm sure some of you uh, actually insist that Trump is God and whatever God says will come about. Well, not in New York State. That may work in Georgia with Herschel Walker and may work in Pennsylvania with Oz. Johnson in Wisconsin, absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in New York. (laughs) Right? You can say, I endorse Joe Pinion. Joe Pinion is running against the schmuck to putz Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. You never know that because they don't give any attention to Joe Pinion. But imagine, Donald Trump, I'm endorsing Joe Pinion against the schmuck to putz Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. What little chance Joe had would be dead. He'd be dead on arrival. Why, Donald, why, why, why? Because it's all about him. It ain't about us and we. It's about I and me. I'm the man. W-A-B-C. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Yeah! I'm a big You know what he means by cake. It's time to bake it. Wiz Khalifa, as he does puff, puff, pass, and I mean in a purple haze like you just can't imagine. But one of the rules of our political club, not a Republican club, a Democratic club, but let's call it a club that involves political types of all different backgrounds from the DSA, to the John Birchers, to Republicans, Democrats, liberals, progressives, Trumpers, and uh, independents and unaffiliated. Right? Boy, that covers the spectrum. But a lot of them, when they get into the club, they don't going to want to do puff, puff, pass. What do we do? Oh, oh, we put a libertarian in charge of drugs, right? Because the libertarian says anything goes. Fentanyl, heroin, coquina. By the time you get to marijuana, you say, man, that's like a St. Joseph baby aspirin compared to fentanyl or heroin, right? What's going to happen if all of a sudden a Democrat lights up a joint? Will that Democrat go puff, puff, pass with a Trumper or Republican? Because, you know, when they did a survey recently, Trumpers, Republicans, conservatives, Democrats, liberals, progressives, democratic socialists were in favor of legalized recreational use of marijuana, not just medical marijuana. It's almost like nobody opposed to it anymore. Nobody. But there is one man out there who stands 
comes against Puff Puff Pass. And in fact, uh, he was on the uh, Long Island edition of our sister station, WLA, WLIR, that you hear out in the, uh, the East End. And by the way, FM stands for Freaking Morons, Feeble-Minded, Fornicating Madly, Free Marijuana, Frank Morano, and yes, now Frank McKay, president of operations out in Long Island for WLIR, WABC, our sister station. And... Uh, well, first, first, uh, let's go to Vice President <laughs> Giggles Harris, because, man, she used to be like zero tolerance. And when she was the DA of San Francisco County, you had a joint in your mouth, man. You were going to jail, J-A-I-L. I mean, we're talking hardcore. San Quentin, Folsom. And now all of a sudden... Joe Biden decided, hey, if you're in federal, you got charged federally, we're going to wipe that record clean. Got a marijuana bus, we're going to wipe it clean. And I thought for sure, Giggles, (laughs) Harris would say, hold on. That means all my prosecutions are predominantly people of color who brought that to her attention on that stage in Detroit when Tulsi Gabbard Oh, God, Frank Morano is in love with Tulsi, but she won't do an interview with him. Never, never, never. When Tulsi Gabbard, congresswoman in white from Hawaii, eviscerated, eviscerated Senator Harris at that point by saying, you locked up black men and black women for smoking a joint. Now he's the new and improved. <laughs> Giggles Harris. I strongly believe, in the, and the majority of Americans I agree, uh, nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed, right? And remember, she was the one who got all giggly on The Breakfast Club. Was well, Charlemagne the God? By the way, if you're listening, Sid Rosenberg, now that Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, is your pal. Now that you've reunited together forever, Ebony and Ivory, you're not his favorite morning show, schmuck. It's the Breakfast Club. Charlemagne the God. Come on, brother. Your complexion is not your protection. But Sid, you know, Sid, as long as you stroke him, right? He's like the peacock. He's like Trump. Trump on the radio. Stroke him, okay. Go against him, you're an enemy for life. Until you stroke him again. Who was that person? I want to beat him up. But I digress here. Now let's go to the last man standing. It's part of the roundtable discussion on... WABC Monday through Fridays, 5 o'clock, hosted by John Katsimatidis and Lydia Serrani. He is the consigliere for Red Apple Media in many ways. He's a former judge, not a turn loose judge, and the consigliere to former Speaker of the City Council, Peter Ballone from Astoria. Judge Weinberg. He's the hanging judge when it comes to reefer madness. Biden just came out and he said he was going to pardon uh, all the federal prisoners who were in, in prison on uh, on marijuana possession. Now, that's very cute. That's a gimmick to try to bolster his base for the midterm elections, Jesse. But let me point Absolutely. out the rea- let me point out the reality. It's called plea bargaining. You have drug traffickers. You have marijuana dealers in federal prison. And they pled down to possession. Not they didn't plead out to to dealing. 
to being traffickers in drugs. They gave them something to plead down to so they would get a conviction. That's the dirty little secret. They're not in there for simple. It's not somebody with a, a joint walking down the street who went to federal prison, Jesse. It's a guy who is a dealer who pled down to more serious charges just so they could get him off the streets. I need a little wish, Khalifa, in the background. I want to give you an idea of how Judge Weinberg would handle this purple haze that hangs over the city. Be careful, Ken, and all you hipster and millennials. I see when you sneak out to vape. Judge Weinberg, he's prosecuted many drug cases over the years and locked them up and thrown away the key. I'm going to suggest to Judge Weinberg that he take a constitution... Every afternoon here at 12 noon outside of WABC and just walk around and look at our personnel (laughs) vaping. And then I'll immediately cite you, arrest you, make a citizen's arrest. And then we could actually set up a courtroom in the back here of WABC. Guilty as charged. Now take a whiz test so we can prove categorically that you are or you're not. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. You see, Ken, you who are a driver who gets lost two out of five days when coming here to WABC from eastern Pennsylvania across the bridge into Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and then you get lost, you do not. State troopers either in Pennsylvania or Jersey could stop you and have you take a DUI test, right? Drinking while impaired. Now, there they can nail you. They can nail you. they got a number of ways of quantifying if you're over the legal limit. They don't have that with pot. They don't have a test yet. So we got legal recreational use of pot. And Jersey is now making money hand over fist because they got the legal dispensaries. They are on time. New York still. We're like, all the pot you're buying in New York now, even though technically it's legal. The recreational use of marijuana, but it's not legal to sell it. So how do you get it if someone can't sell it, right? But like everything in New York, it takes forever. And people got to get paid off. They got to get greased. They got to be wine dying the pocket line. But eventually, we'll have legal dispensaries like Massachusetts has, like New Jersey has, like other states have. But let's look at the data here. Because I don't want to look at Delaware. I don't want to look at Iowa where there are more pigs than people. I don't want to look at Idaho where there are more potatoes than people. Let's go to the most populated state in the nation. We know the governor in the state capital, Sacramento, smoking that peace pipe. Gus Newsom. Absolutely. And I would uh, actually put in charge... Of the sale and the dispensaries of the recreational use of marijuana. The number one user of marijuana that we have ever known. Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, and his uh, old lady Charlene. Who used to, man, I mean, they were smoking joints in athletic socks. I mean, big, fat joints, bones. Every night, the cops would tell you that were assigned to their detail. They had to have a fan blowing away the Maui Waui and Hindu Kush smoke. But he should be in charge of this, right? The guy, look, I was just the other day, Park Slope. I was there on 11th 
and 7th Avenue. Levenstein. He's got two houses. He's got a grow house, and he's got a house he lives in. Oh, yeah, man. Hydroponics. Everybody knows. That guy, what? Put him in charge, man. He'll sample the product. Well, let's look at Cali, what has happened there in 2016. Californians voted to legalize recreational adult use of marijuana. Naturally, at that time, the mayor of San Francisco was Gus Newsom, who, by the way, was having sex with the wife of his chief of staff. Nice guy, right? Snacking on the wife of his chief of staff. But, no, that makes him prime to become president of the United States, right? It's very Kennedy-esque, very Clinton-esque. But, anyway, I digress here. So, apparently, nearly six years later, it's clear that a promise of massive revenue while decreasing illicit marijuana sales and destroying the drug cartel out there was all a big lie. While the state has collected billions in tax revenue from uh, marijuana sales, billions more continue to pour into the thriving illicit market. And why is that? Because California gets greedy like other states and taxes the product too much, which just creates a larger black market. Because not only that, they'll deliver to your door, there's no taxes, and... It's competition now, so they can't just sell your ragweed and say, oh, sorry, I guess that was a bad batch. Matt Blaze knows about that. Say, man, what, 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 what the hell did you sell me here? Oregano? Oh, we'll make it up to you, man. With a uh, man, the nickel and dime bag I got here is, man, the bomb, man. It comes from Amsterdam, the cannabis bowl. Oh, yeah. They can't do that anymore because they know they got competition now. There's the legal reefer store. It taxes the hell out of it. And there's the underground economy in which they know that they can actually outsell the state of California because they'll deliver to your door. There's no taxes. And like any business, it's like Walmart. You know, they give you two for one, right? Whereas before, it was like tough noogies. (laughs) We're the only game in town. Now, it's like Walmart. It's like Amazon. They actually sell the product and take a loss just to drive out the competition. Yeah, yeah, it's capitalism, man. In the drug industry, in every industry, it's super capitalism. How many times does Walmart bring in pallets full of Pampers? And then they're selling it below below the price of them even recovering their investment just to drive out the competition, right? That's what these dope dealers do, man. Do you ever watch... uh, the movie with Johnny Depp, Blow. You know what he started out doing? It wasn't selling cocaine. He was selling bales of marijuana. Bales. Man, that's that's a lot of heavy lifting there. And you're not getting the same kind of feedback you get from a key or a kilo. But, oh, man, let's go to Dave in Asbury Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. My main man, Curtis, man. What's going on, bro? I'm trying to set up um, this club of political music. Uh, how did you like it? How, how did you like my selections? Well, that's, that's why I tune in to you, man. A little break from this political madness out here. But I got a name for it, right? Yeah, go for it. Club Zero Bond. Club Z. <laughs> I like that. Give me that name again. Yeah. Give me no, that name again. No cash. No cash bail. You know, zero bond, B-O-N-D. Oh, 
A play Ooh, on words. Like I like that. Oh, you like that. You I like that. I like. Give me my Brandon song here. Now, look, I want you to grade these songs. Let's start with the Brandon song first. This might be the club classic that we play because we know at least the Trumpers, the MAGA folks, will be up on their feet. Let's go, Dave, I got to believe even Democrats would be dancing to that. What do you think? I think it's a little, it's a little Mick Whitey Whitey for me, but I, I, I could, I could see where you're going with that. All right, now, Especially. now we got to be fair. So we have here a Joe Biden song in which you don't hear Trump's voice until the very, very end. That might turn off people. I guess we'll have to do a bridge to it. But it's Joe Biden himself rocking the mic. You, you, you grade this out. I'd like to be able to. Anyway, I'm, my mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. Lose track. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell is talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I headed? I keep forgetting I'm president. Where am I? No idea. I don't think as the idea. I recognize Dr. John John King King song. King that song. I can't get this My mind's going blank now. What's happening? Now come on, Dave. That's all Biden all the time. Democrat. Yeah, hey, my only my only problem with that one is live in concert. Will he be able to remember his lyrics? No, but the whole point is he forgets them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but see, that's what. Oh, I get it. Oh, okay. So it's even okay, more genuine. I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's real. It's keeping it real. Yeah, it's real, real life, real time. That's right. Now, you see, he can't blame it on the herb. He can't blame it. In fact, I tell you what, we're running out of Adderall. The FDA says we don't have enough Adderall, which, you know, it's like attention deficit disorder. That's what Joe Biden has. We'll just shoot him full of Adderall before he takes to the stage. Okay, so so not only is he depleting the oil reserves, he's depleting the Adderall reserves as well. Exactly. Now, what's okay. the NFL going to do? All these defensive half uh, defensive backs—that's what they take before the game because there's so much movement on the field. The whole idea of the offense is to mix it up on the gridiron. They take Adderall so they can just focus on the flanker, the tight end, the wideout. So if they don't get to mix, let me tell you something, Dave. We're on to something here. Why not Asbury Park, right? A few clubs have gone out of business there right off the boardwalk. Not the Stone Pony. No, 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 no. We're not Bruce, that stuff. No, no, no. It's a club. In the club, right? To try to bring both sides together. Look, one side or the other is going to win the midterms. Right now, it's definitely looking like the Republicans are going to take the House. And it's almost like meds and meds and poco poco, half and half in terms of the Senate. It's really... Wow, man, it's very interesting after Herschel Walker's debate when he flipped out that badge. <laughs> oh, man, where did he get that from? The tricks, the trick cereal box? He got that badge, man. And he said, you can't use props. Now, 
Matt Blaze, um, you looked at some of those mayoral debates, especially the ones that I had in the Republican primary against Fernando Mateo, and I crushed him. Remember at New York one, Errol Lewis would say to me, no props, no props, no props. I'm the king of the props, man. I hope Herschel gives me some cred when he flipped that badge. Oh, that was so good. And you see Warnock, his eyeballs were rolling like, is that a real badge? Is that a Y-50, Bookham Dano? Is that? Don't tell me that's dragnet, is it? And what kind of badge was that? I'm really thinking it was tricks for kids, you know, that. We used to get that when we get tricks, you know. I'm telling you, man, Cracker Jack badge. <laughs> but that was so cool the way you whipped it out, man. Stop that, Mr. Walker. Hey, relax. Chill out. This is entertaining, man. Man, he was on fire, man. Tell you, Herschel, Herschel was looking at Warnock saying, hey, now, let me tell you something, Biden. Oh, I mean, uh, Reverend. Every second word was by, And how could Warnock separate himself? He's attached at the hip. Oh, that was so good, that badge. <laughs> I'm 5'0", man. That's a fake badge. Oh, no. I'm 5'0". Look, Shaq got a badge, right? Shaq O'Neal. He flips his badge out. Why can't I flip my badge out? Well, you going to tell a black man he can't flip a badge out only when he's under arrest? That's what I would have said. Oh, so the only badge a black man can see is when 5-0 wants to arrest him and ID him as 5-0. No, 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 no. Black man got the badge now, Whitey. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Circle, ladies and gentlemen, from the 60s, which was the age of peace, love, happiness, and it was the uh, drug culture versus mommy and daddy's generation that had no tolerance for that. We've come full circle to the point where first it was medical marijuana, now it's legal marijuana for the recreational use. Except here in New York, it's so screwy, you can't buy it, right? But you can have, you can have it on you, right? And somebody can't sell it. Well, how do you get it? What, do you grow it in your backyard? I mean, and remember, if you sell it in the legal dispensaries, eventually when the state gets around to licensing them, you can't put it in a bank. You can't open up a bank account because the federal government has marijuana listed as a stage one narcotic equal to fentanyl, which is really crazy. So you would think that eventually everything is going to level itself out. But uh, it is interesting because if you don't have federal oversight, in which they were on board with the states. 
There are some people who are going to get jammed up and may end up going to prison and say, well, wait a second, how can I go to prison? It's legal in my state. It might be legal in the state, but it's not legal according to the federal government. And it will lead to a lot of crime because let me explain to you one thing about the drug business. Let's say that Matt Blaze received one of the licenses in New York. They will be given only to people who have had arrests in the past for marijuana sales and distribution. And you have a nice storefront in a town that is allowed uh, a dispensary to open up because they get a percentage of the tax. There are going to be stick-up kids outside eyeballing you, Matt, when you leave that dispensary because they know that you're going to be carrying a lot of cash. You can't bank it, which is really unfair as a business. It's going to target you for robberies. And it creates just too much chaos. So, look, it's sweeping the nation. It is being made legal. Why not? Get the federal government on board to make everybody safe and secure. The whole idea is to knock out the criminal networks who right now are feeding the black market and are still making money hand over fist, even in those states where marijuana has been legal for quite some time, like the most popular state of California. So it is going to be the reality. Everybody needs to get on board because everybody's got to be safe and secure. And they can't be targeted by these um, stick-up kids, as we've seen in New York City. They commit a lot of violence and create create a lot of mishigash. Up next, the subways. Is it the perception of crime there? Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. song from the Warriors movie, which is a cult classic now. It's uh, now been seen by three generations. It came out on February 8th of 1979, a Paramount movie, and it was about all the gangs riding the subways of New York City. And it was very well done. You have a chance to see it. If you didn't know what New York City was like in the 70s, it is a period piece You see the graffitied subways. You see what gangs look like. They were all summoned to Van Cortlandt Park, the northernmost portion of the Bronx, the last stop on the number one train. And there were 40,000 gang members, not at the park, only their leaders, but about 40,000 back then compared to 28,000 police officers. And the uh, charismatic leader of one of the gangs, Cyrus, 
announced to all the leaders, look, there's 40,000 of us, 28,000 of them. We could take over this city. And they could have. And then somebody in the crowd shoots him. Down he goes. They blame the Warriors. Then they have to fight their way back to Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue. And they run into all kinds of street gangs who basically were using the subways to get around like the normal strap hangers. So it was a true period piece. You really want to know what it was like back then. It gives you a pretty damn good idea what the subways were like and what the neighborhoods were like. And it's uh, important because just a few days afterwards, on February 13th, 1979, I started the Guardian Angels to combat all of that gang activity in the subways and streets because there were no cops. We uh, were in a fiscal mess at that time. And Ed Koch was hampered by the fact that we were on the precipice of uh, declaring Chapter 11. So he had a report to a financial control board consisting of Felix Roatan, who represented all the bankers who invested in New York City, and Victor Gottbaum, who represented all the union leaders who invested their pension funds in New York City to keep it afloat. But Ed Koch had to be answerable for every nickel, diamond, penny that he spent out of the city treasury. We're moving in that direction now. And one of the first things that got cut were the police department and the fire department and social workers, educators, and uh, it was bad. It was really bad. And the place it was felt the most was in the subways. Crime just skyrocketed. You did not see a uniformed police officer... From 6 o'clock at night to 6 o'clock in the morning. They call those the off-peak hours. And there were a few that were out and about between 6 in the morning and 6 at night. So you can imagine if you were a criminal, why rob somebody in the streets or the projects or the tenements when you could just ride the trains all night and know that there were plenty of victims because it was the veins and arteries of the city, especially people who worked the swing shift and the graveyard shift. They had no choice. They had to use the subways. And it was easy pickings. And, oh, boy, it was. And crime skyrocketed in the subway. Incredible levels. And we're starting to approach that right now. We've had eight people killed In the subway system this year alone, the most recent out in uh, Far Rockaway yesterday on his way to Mott Avenue, the last stop. A 15-year-old who was shot by an 18-year-old, the 18-year-old, actually uh, fled. A good Samaritan pulled the 15-year-old onto the platform at Mott Avenue and tried to resuscitate him, uh, but he failed. Police responded. And late uh, last night, an arrest was made of an 18-year-old who said, It wasn't me. I got shot myself. So the uh, this drama continues. The father came out and said, My my son, my 15-year-old, you know, he was a little angel. He was a gangbanger. Trust me, it's so many gangs out in Far Rockaway. Redfern, Edgemere, Auburn. From Bayswater over to Rockaway Beach, it is the most intensive gang area of the city. And they got to start doing stop and frisk. They have to start doing stop and frisk. There's a whole panoply of subway-related crimes that have taken place just in the last 24 hours. But I'll tell you this much. There are no cops. I'm down in the subways every day, every night. There are no cops in the subways. 
where the hell did they go? Well, you go to the analytics, and the analytics are is that we have less police officers every month. There will be a graduating class tomorrow that uh, Eric Adams, the swagger man, with no plan, will be uh, speaking to. But it pales in comparison to the numbers who are retiring normally, who are going through normal or uh, early retirement, and are being recruited to other police departments all over the United States. In fact, the city of Norfolk, Virginia, the Tidewater Peninsula, is the most aggressive. They've got posters all throughout the subway system. They tell you 57500 to start, $17,000 bonus. We give you a housing allowance for a year and promotional opportunities galore. Now, imagine you're a cop out there, one of the few who are assigned to the subway now, and you see that poster. Uh, you go back to the precinct and you tell your desk sergeant, and your desk sergeant says, Gee, are they hiring ranking officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains? They've set up recruitment posts right outside the precincts. So our numbers are depleted to an incredibly low level, and it's most noticeable in the subways as we see crime after crime after crime. So the 15-year-old being shot and killed is not an exception to the rule. I mean, I'm going through, my God. Did you see what happened at 149th Grand, uh, 149th on the number six train? A guy, a madman, you can see the video, it's gone viral. He's stalking different strap hangers. He's coming behind him and faking like he's going to throw him in the tracks. And you can see the demons have grabbed his mind, body, and soul. He's an emotionally disturbed person. He needs to be hospitalized. But he lives in the subway, like so many of them do. And he finally comes upon this one guy at 11.50 in the morning, Saturday. So we're not talking 11.50 at night or 3 o'clock in the morning. Right before noon, 149th Street, number 6 train, he throws the guy into the tracks. The number 6 train is coming. Luckily, the conductor, the motorman, excuse me, sees it in time, breaks, and a good Samaritan helps uh, the young man out of the tracks before the train would crush him. And naturally, this emotionally disturbed guy, when you see the pictures, there's no mask. His eyes are flaring. I mean, this man is angry. He's got personal demons. And he is an enemy of society. He's going to do this again and again and again. And it's, look, I'm just going to, look at this. This is incredible. Wow. 67-year-old woman knocked unconscious on the Queen Subway Station as she lay on the ground. This monster swiped her backpack. This was earlier today, Sunday. Punched in the head, knocked out at 6.30 p.m. inside the Queens Boulevard and Grand Avenue Subway Station in Elmhurst. Elmhurst, we're not talking the hood, the ghetto. The brute then stole her purple and white backpack, which contained her credit cards, personal identification, and house keys. And then they tracked this guy with the credit card. He was trying to buy food all along the way. They weren't able to catch him. But look at the description, and this is what really drives me crazy. He was last seen wearing a blue baseball hat with Brooklyn on the front, a blue fast mace, 
face mask, a black hooded sweatshirt, and blue jeans, and carrying the victim's backpack. Could you please describe his color? You know, if we're trying to help the police find this guy, would help to say dark skin, light skin, white, black, brown, Asian. Ah, come on. This is what we're dealing with. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to the phones because I do have a remedy coming up. Uh, the guardian angels were out in Far Rockaway where that 15-year-old was cut down in gang violence, although he was a gangbanger himself. The day after the shooting, right, you would think the place would be flooded with cops. No cops. No cops. Where are they? And our police commissioner who lives across where Five Towns is, Nassau County, she lives, I think, in Valley Stream, refuses to move to the city, which contractually she has to after six months of accepting the commissionership. She refuses to move to the city. She was on the subway. Did you see it? She wore one stop from 53rd and Lex, where last week a guy was surrounded by a gang of six, all of them dressed similarly, black hoods, black masks, black clothes, black shoes, and they cut them up. They sliced them up, and they robbed them. And they actually waved to the camera. So the police commissioner decided she was going to go out there and she was going to take a look at it herself. She went to 53rd and Lex with one high-ranking official who runs the transit police. And by the way, uh, I'd fire him tomorrow. And she rode one stop, one stop to Grand Central. She got so much grief from the passengers who were telling her, where are the police? Where are the police? She fled. She hasn't been back in the subway since. How embarrassing. One stop. And only selected media, Channel 7, AM New York, the newspaper, and WINS. Other reporters not invited because they wanted to sort of control the story. How do you control the story when the police commissioner goes one stop and flees and leaves because people are coming up to us saying, where are the cops? You promised hundreds of cops. Where are they? And then if you do see the transit police, and by the way, it used to be the A-team. Think of the old A-team, right? There's no more A-team. It's now the B-team. The cops, when you do see them, they're on a platform and they're not wearing their hats. So if it's a crowded platform, how the hell would you know they're cops? Because some of them are like four foot two. You need an electron microscope with red dye to see them. You know, there are no height requirements any longer. So if they're not wearing the standard police hat, how would you know they're cops? That's why I insist, Guardian Angels, you always have to keep that red beret on. You know Guardian Angels by the red beret, not the red sateen jacket, not the Guardian Angel uh, T-shirt. And there's nobody running the transit police. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I never see transit police. They tell me hundreds are down there. Could have fooled me. I think uh, if there's anything I know about in the city of New York, it's the subways. And they keep telling us, oh, no, it's hundreds. We're sending hundreds. And people, no matter who they are, whether they support Eric Adams or they don't, they say, where are the transit cops? Where are the transit cops? Let's go to Peter in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Peter. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Curtis. Uh, just a question. I, uh, you know, you started off talking about the Warriors. Uh, where in the movie does it say that they're actually in Van Cortland Park? Because when you look at the subway map in the opening credits, it shows them getting. It shows 
the end of the line as being Pelham Park. And the only mention of the Van, of Van Cortland Park is when they mentioned the Van Cortland Rangers. You are very astute. They took creative license. But the idea was they were to meet in Van Cortland Park. Now, believe it or not, you're right. Pelham Park is actually a larger park than Van Cortland Park. But it doesn't have areas where you could sort of hide from uh, public, uh, uh, from the public seeing you. But uh, I don't have to backtrack on that. You know, sometimes uh, in the movies they take uh, license. They'll use one station as opposed to the station which supposedly all. By the way, you have a heavy breathing problem there, Peter. Uh, you're smoking. Uh, it's funny that you said no. I'm just overweight. <laughs> hey, you know, that's a signal there, Peter. The heavy breathing, you know. You got to knock off some pounds. Yeah, I do. I, I, everybody's been telling me that, yes. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question because uh, I'm concerned about you. Ever since we lost uh, Bernard McGurk, our great colleague, who didn't get a prostate uh, test in time, simple blood test, are you going for your medical test? Because, you know, the heavier you are, the more likely you are as you age to end up having more problems. Yeah, well, my doctor told me last year, she goes, you're pre-diabetic. You know, she, she's like, you need to lose weight. But I have problems with my feet. I, I, I injured my feet a long time ago, so I'm always in pain. It feels like rubber bands in my feet, you know, like they're getting ready to stretch and snap. No, no, no. Look, look, look. I've had a lot of pains in my life, uh, but how old are you now, Peter? 56. Okay. You're at that point, 55 plus. You got to address it now, Peter. You really do. By the way, have you had a PSA test? Um, n- not in a couple of years, maybe two years ago, three years ago. Got to, Peter. You saw what happened to Bernard. The yes, str- very strongest guy. I mean, in great shape, good diet. He go running every day, go to the gym. He didn't get that simple blood test, and by the time he felt the symptoms, and he conf- he confided in me because I had stage four prostate cancer, I could tell. Even though I'm not a doctor, I've dealt with enough of these cases. I knew it had metastasized, and boy, when that happens, it doesn't mean they can't keep you alive, but it makes a difficult situation that much more difficult. So, promise me one thing, Peter. Even though you're you're wrestling with this weight situation. Would you please get a PSA test, a simple prick of the finger? Okay, I will. I promise you that. In, uh, in honor of Bernard McGurk, a fellow Bronxite. <laughs> yes, yes, I will. And yeah. I promise you I will do the deep dive and go back to the opening credits and look at that subway station again. And I am pretty much knew it. The other day they were talking to Peter Valone, uh, and I knew that uh, – it was right the end train was going on right outside i could i could tell from the sound of the train and i was spot on um i'll do that for you peter if you please get a psa test in honor of bernard mcgurk i will i promise that thank you great deal thank you for being a great listener i know a lot of people you think when you're 55 plus you get a mammogram if you're a woman for breast cancer 55 plus psa for prostate cancer no start at 40 I don't care what they tell you, start at 40. And I will tell you this, I had no history of prostate cancer with any male member of my extended family on either side, not one. And I ended up with a bad case of prostate cancer. So I know a lot of people think, well, it was never prostate cancer in my family on the male side. Look, 
that it'll be safe than sorry. Again, I can't say it enough. You're not doing a squat and thrust. You're not going to a proctologist. He doesn't have Playtex gloves on. It's a person who pricks your finger simply. You smear it on a little bit of uh, a glass, and then they do a test of it. And if it's moving up your PSA, there are remedies they can give you without having to suddenly explain that you are in a dangerous category, as I was, as Bernard McGurk was, and our colleague Rudy Giuliani was 21 years before. Luckily for us, we caught it right in time, but we had vacillated. And women out there, I can't tell you. I, I, I give you license to nag to beseech the men in your life to get that blood test and, and set a date. Look at your calendar. If they haven't done it by, by the new year, Father's Day, then the family has to basically surround them. And, I mean, it's got to be like uh, constant nagging. Drive them. Grab them. Throw them in the trunk of the car. Take them to where they can get a simple PSA test. It saves lives. And the station... Because of Pernod McGurk's demise, we're going to be dedicating so much time to promoting prostate cancer awareness because it seems to have fallen right off of the uh, radar screen. We're going to make sure it goes right back where it needs to be. Constant awareness, 24-7-365. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could I get some dead presidents. I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up. This is a hole-up. Ain't nothing funny. Stop smiling. We still don't nothing move but the money. Most of the problems, ladies and gentlemen, that I see and experience are from stick-up kids. Teenagers carrying guns. There's no stop and frisk. They hop the turnstile. There's no attempt to stop fare evasion. If you do not control entry into the subway, you lose control of the subway system. And the stick-up kids are running wild. There's no more stop and frisk. I can't tell you the last time I saw a stop and frisk. There is none. The administration will not allow for it. They're not encouraging it. And cops have backed off. You know there's a stop and frisk when a police officer pulls out a little index card. It's called a 250. And they have to write down the reasons for the stop and frisk, which is all good. You want to make sure that you're doing it properly and you're not just jamming people up. But think, you go to precinct to precinct. I visit precincts. I ask, how many uh, 250s were turned in this week, Sarge? Two. Two. And high crime in district here, the 41st, 41st precinct here in the South Bronx. You could get two in an hour. No, no, they tell us not to do that any longer. Hey, the kids are walking around with guns here in the projects. You got to do stop and frisk. They won't let us do it, Curtis. Won't let us do it. Let's go to Mary, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mayor. Hiya, Curtis. How are you? Not good. Not good. I know, I know. Listen. Uh, deepest sympathy to Bernie's family and his radio family. And you were talking about the 70s earlier, and what came to me was, do you remember the Al Pacino movie, Panic in Needle Park? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Oh, wasn't That was New York. See, you were down in the subways. We were more up on ground. 
You remember when uh, they had Center Park, the free uh, concert? Sure, sure. I remember. Gee, they'd pack them in there, although there was one. Right, right. The, we, wild, the we wilding that took place with, uh, um, uh, she's, in fact, she shares my same birthday. Who's that? Who is the leader of the Supremes? Oh, uh, 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 Diana Ross? We're going to give you a booby prize for that. Boy, that should have been a knockout. But anyway, you, you continue to talk, Mary. Ken, you, you know what I'm saying was, gonna make sure you know what I'm saying was, back then, yes. it was crazy up in the city before Rudy came in and cleaned up uh, 42nd Street. Well, let me tell you how crazy it was. You brought up Needle Park right near 72nd. Yeah, yeah. Right near where the entrance to the number one train is. Do you know that at that point when Dope Fiends was shooting up openly out in the open, that Donald Trump, the builder, was battling with Gerald the Whale Nadler, the elected official who represented the area, because Trump was telling Nadler, nobody's going to want to build with guys shooting up right there in Needle Park. And they had community meetings then. That's We're talking the 70s in which Gerald the Whale Nadler and citizen activists from the Upper West Side were saying, well, you got to understand, they probably have problems. That's why they're shooting up. (laughs) It it all comes full circle, Mary. We've been through this before. I know. That's what I'm trying to say to you. It's like we were 14, maybe 15 years old, went to the concert. i got to tell you the story. Me, my sister, and my girlfriend, we had a blanket. And we come out of Central Park, and we were, like, on 42nd Street, where I don't know. And one girlfriend says, oh, there's a record store. I want to go in. So I stand by the door. It's, you know, only a two-by-two record store. And my sister's on the corner with a blanket around her. This guy, he had to be 6'2". I'm 15. He says, I think you girls need to move on. True story. Wow. I want you, Mary, I want you to be the judge here today. Today, I had Guardian Angels on the A train uh, going to Far Rockaway between Broad Channel and Mott Avenue, and they had a boom box. They were playing a PSA that I made that I believe the MTA should be running on the subways because they're running one with the police commission. I'm going to play you first the one that I did. Then I'm going to play you the one the police commissioner did. And because you've transitioned from the 60s and 70s to now, and you're a lifelong New Yorker. Would you mind being the judge of this? Absolutely not. I think I heard your thing, but go ahead. Okay, no, this is the new and improved one in the boombox. In the boombox today, I mean, yo, the homies were loving this, Mary. Listen. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Curtis Lewa, as if you didn't even know, I am the sheriff of the MTA, the money-taking agency. Yo, there's photo recognition technology. You're all on film. I'm going to know quickly if you're a criminal or not. Those guys who are trying to prove they don't have erectile dysfunction, put your three-piece set in your pants, you pervs. And if you try to commit the crime, whatever it is, I'm going to hit you so hard, your grandmother will feel the vibration. So, you want to deal with me? Or you want to just sit down, mind your own business, and get off of your stop, and don't bust anybody's chops? Now, what did you think of that, uh, Mary? Oh, my God. That's the way you got to be.
Yeah, well, I, I betted it with Ludacris, Ludy underneath. You see, it got Holy out. That, that got the homie's attention right away. They said, oh, man, yeah, we know that guy with the red beret. He's crazy. But we know we like Ludy. And they were listening and they were paying attention. And yeah. our guys were, and our gals were telling them, yo, we're the sheriff here on the A train between right. Modern Avenue and Broad Channel. No more of this. You're not being, you're not going to be shooting anyone. Now, this is the one that the police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell did. You listen to this and you tell me if you think it's going to work. Hello, I'm NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell. New York relies on its subway system like no other city in the nation. And your NYPD officers are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to keep it safe. Enjoy your ride. And thank you for choosing mass transit. What do you think, Mary? I'm never going underground. <laughs> I can afford a cab. Now, I got to go up to the now, I got to go up to the hospital for special surgeries on Halloween. My husband's going up there. I I was looking for uh, who is it? Bo Deal or somebody who does special security? I'm like I, I was up there. I'm like I'm scared to death, and I'm a New Yorker. Mary, because you've been so good. When I'm finished with you, not only are you going to get a booby prize, uh, you give Ken your information. I'll make sure you have a guardian angel escort you that night. That's a rough night, Halloween. That's very, very rough, Mary. And I understand your husband is going to have special surgery. But the last thing, I'm marching this slogan into J Street Borough Hall, which is where the slackers and deadbeats work who run the MTA, the money-taking agency, the state agency. What do you think of this as the new slogan, Mary? Get off of your stop and don't bust anybody's chops. Right? Simple, sweet, to the point. Just mind your business. Right. What do you think, Mary? Go for it. Okay. Well, you stay on the line. Now, remember, Ken, I know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Stay on the line. Thank hey, you Mary. so much, Curtis. Thank, thank you, you so thank much, Mary. Curtis. Well, stay, stay, stay. It's still not, damn. Ken, you know, muscle head. You're going to give her the Curtis Lee will booby prize through the generosity of John and Margot Katzmatidis, owners and operators of our parent company, Red Apple Media, thank God. They've got the schedule. They give you a beautiful baseball cap. You're going to get the patch. The Curtis Lee will show. So if you go in the hood, the hood rats see that. Hmm. They're going to say, like, hmm, I don't know if we want to mess with this person. But uh, we're going to deliver. Mary is so nice. Her husband is going to have special surgery. She's got to go in on Halloween night. They're going to be tearing up the subway. I'm going to make sure that she has a personal escort to get her there safe and secure and get her home. Just make sure her husband's in good shape. That's the least we can do. This is a veteran. She remembers Needle Park. Yeah, he was shooting up right at 72nd and Broadway, right there in the open. And Trump was arguing with the whale, Gerald Nadler. Gerald Nadler, liberal, Democrat, progressive, then saying, hey, they're shooting up, Don. They got problems. Don says, we're never going to be able to build this city if dope fiends are shooting up right there at 72nd and Broadway. I remember. Whose side were you on that? I was on the Donald side. Sir, I don't think I've ever been on the Wales side. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? 
You know, this used to be the theme song for the New York Mets 2000. Bobby Valentine, he got into the World Series against the Derek Jeter-led, Joe Torre-led New York Yankees. Yankees uh, swept the series 4-1. I know I attended the only game that the Mets uh, actually won. The top tier, right field, nosebleed section, which I could stand uh, and look down at Jamaica Salvage, the biggest chop shop in the world, owned by Carmine Agnello, son-in-law of John Gotti Sr. Man, I saw all of it. Man, they were chopping up as, as the game progressed. That was the only game the uh, Yankees lost. They won 4-1 Subway Series. Uh, we're also playing that song because uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of dog issues in the Animal Welfare Hour. Boy, dogs have been standing their ground, defending their family members, women who have raised them from puppies, put their lives on the line. Men, apparently, are not around to do that, so it's left to the dogs. In Prospect Park... And in Roxbury and Boston, I got a 91-year-old woman, a civil rights iconic figure, was stabbed five times. This monster tried to rape her in Roxbury Park. And her, da- her dog, Bailey, stood his ground and ripped that thug apart. He bled out. He ran away. Thank God the woman is going to survive, unfortunately, in Prospect Park. It was a different eventuality. The hero dog who is uh, Moose, Irish Terrier, got hit over and over by an emotionally disturbed person as he protected Jessica, who had raised him as a pup. She was able to survive, but he had a horrible death. He died within a week. That's, I mean, man and woman's best friend, a dog. They stood their ground. We're the men, right? God, look at all these videos that we've been watching on TV, right, that have gone viral. You say, they're doing this in broad daylight. Where are the men? How come they're not coming out and defending the women, the children, the elderly, the infirm? What happened to their testosterone, their culions? But also, this was the theme song from the New York Mets for a long time. And um, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plans, said he grew up as a Met fan. I, I don't question that. He grew up in Queens. That makes sense. But he did the unconscionable and predicted that they would sweep into the World Series, and they got flushed out against the San Diego Padres. And then Eric Adams added uh, insult to injury and said the Yankees would sweep into the World Series, too. He's not a Yankee fan. But tonight, they won game four in Cleveland, 4-2. Rizzo started it all off. Rizzo, great acquisition, started it all off. Obviously, uh, I wasn't able to pay attention to the nitty-gritty details because i got to be honest with you, eliminate that uh, music because I've sort of lost my feel for the Yankees. I, you could have cut my veins and arteries. I would have bled pinstripes. It's not there anymore. And I'm going to continue to say it because there's no bigger fan than Curtis Lee. I mean, I used to do post games for the Yankees. I used to go to the rallies. Especially 2000, it was in Bryant Park. Rudy said to me, he was mayor, yeah, I want you to host the rally. He said, hey, Rudy, you know, I hate the Mets, and I'm going after the Mets fans. He goes, I hate them too. And I almost started a riot. And then Rudy's deputy mayors had to tell the mayor, get him off the stage. We don't have enough cops here. The Mets fans want to kill him. And Rudy said to them, they're going to have to go through me because I hate the Mets too. Hey, 
true fan. We'll get to that momentarily. But, uh, you know, a number of reasons. They really lost it for them, the Yankees. 2017, I can't say it enough. It was George Steinbrenner's last wish to his sons. You keep Kate Smith singing God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch. And then Black Lives Matter came to the Yankees and said, no, no more Kate Smith. She's a racist. What'd she do that was racist? Oh, she sang a song in the 1930s that that, that was racist. Man, that was it. Black Lives Matter threatened them. They folded like a cheap camera. Black Lives Matter, right? What are they now? Big, large mansions. Uh, they probably can afford box seats to a Yankee game with all the money they, they, they extorted and swindled from everyone. Because, let's be honest, when Black Lives Matter was rampaging with Antifa, you gave them donations as insurance so they wouldn't attack your business, your property, your place of business. All right, come on, be honest. You put all those Black Lives Matter posts. You didn't believe that crap. While I was fighting in the streets with them, you remember that? The Yankees folded. No more Kate Smith, right? That's number one. Number two, Aaron Boone is manager, Mr. Analytics. This guy has no passion. Everything is based on numbers. That's not the way baseball is played. I hate this guy. They'll never get to the World Series with him. Then Yankee fans booing Aaron Judge in the seventh inning, game number two. The guy hasn't even signed a contract for next year. California, he's a California boy, Cali, Cali. It's like, imagine, hypothetically, I was playing baseball for the San Francisco Giants, and I'm a New York kid. I get an opportunity to come back to New York. I'm coming to New York. They're luring, they're telling him, name your price, Judge. Name it. Come back to Cali. He loves the Bay Area. In fact, if you notice, unlike Jeter, he doesn't go out at night. He stays at home with his wife. You know what his wife must have said to him? Aaron, why are we staying here? They booed you in the seventh inning of game number two. They booed you. You know that had it hurt. So I'm telling you, I'm I'm losing it, man. I mean, maybe Rudy, you know, tried and true Yankee fan. Remember when, when they were taking a knee to Black Lives Matter? I didn't watch any games or listen to any games. Rudy cheated. I, I caught him cheating. Yeah, hey, Ru- Ru- what are you doing, Rudy? He had his number eight jersey, his Yogi Berra jersey. Loved Yogi Berra. Hated Mantle because Mantle wouldn't sign autographs. I love Mickey Mantle, but he was right. Mickey Mantle was a total degenerate and a lush. I said, Rudy, you're cheating. Why, why? No, no, no. I was doing some work on the... I see you were listening to the game, Rudy. I thought you made a vow with me. You were not going to listen or watch Yankee games because before every game, they would take a knee to Black Lives Matter. And they got rid of Kate Smith because of big, large mansions. He cheated. I'll never forget, Rudy. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to Mike in uh, Comac. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes, Curtis, how are you? Uh, not too good, Mike. My, the, the, subway, the subways are falling apart. <laughs> anyway, I've retired NYPD lieutenant. You talked about uh, fair enforcement, turnstile jumping, and whatnot previously. Yes. And I want to tell you, when we, uh, we when we actually enforced that, you'd be surprised, or you wouldn't be surprised, how many guns we recovered from guys jumping turnstiles, how many guys had open warrants for murder, for, for robbery, for rape. 
need to go back to it. Plain and simple. Mike, people cannot imagine how many guys with money in their pocket who are wanted for murder, for rape, for drug dealing, with money in their pocket, would not buy a token back then or buy a swipe card now and would jump to fair and then get arrested and they would do a background check on them. And it was like, really? <laughs> you didn't pay your fare? Knowing you had a warrant out for your arrest? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And years ago, we didn't give out disappearance tickets, or as we call them, disappearance tickets. Everyone went through the system. Not like today. Mike, I must tell you that before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, no friend of mine, Andrew Evelines Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Francia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, although I listened intently today with him on Cindy Adams, it was the first comeback interview he had. And let me tell you something. If you couldn't listen to it, you got to go to WABCRadio.com. you got to hear the podcast. She was good. She was getting into him. And then I critiqued the whole thing from three to four. I chopped it up. Only time I've ever given credit to Andrew Cuomo was saving the Columbus Day Parade, the holiday, the statues, and then rescuing the Mother Cabrini statue that we had all voted for and putting it on state property there at the Battery when de Blasio and his wife turned their backs on Mother Cabrini. Other than that, we've been at each other's throats. But he promised before the lockdown and pandemic that he would assign 500 MTA cops to do stop people jumping the fair. They would do that, and the transit cops would go about and do their work, which made a lot of sense, and then he never followed through. Never followed through. Yeah, we're in trouble now, big trouble. If you don't control, Mike, if you don't control where people enter the system at the turnstiles, then you lose complete control of the subways. So true. Very true. Well, thanks for the memories, Mike. And again, as I've said early on, history repeats itself. We dealt with this in the 70s, dealt with it in the 80s, dealt with it in the early 90s until Rudy was elected. And then it was zero tolerance. Nothing was tolerated. Quality of life issues were prioritized and we became the safest big city in America. Look at the hot mess that we are today. And again, you want to blame Albany? That's fine. They blame them for no bail. And Todd Kaminsky, all that. In Bernie's memory, he would come to broadcast every day with his partner, Sid Rosenberg. And he would remind us, my state senator out there in Long Beach, Island Park, is Todd Kaminsky. Todd Kaminsky had been a assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District. I remember I went to a political gathering of Democrats and Republicans in five towns. Yeah, Hashem, Hashem, five towns. And they all said to me, oh, Todd Kaminsky is going to be the next governor, Curtis. You got to meet him. He's law and order Democrat. You know, I said, that's an oxymoron. No, he's going to be the next governor. The guy, it's the full package. You know, like Rudy, U.S. attorney's office. Crime fighter. Who did they use as the author of the no bail provision? Todd Kaminsky, state senator. And then the state chairman, Jacobs, said, I want you to run for D.A. in Nassau. We're going to shove it right down the voters' throats. Dumbest thing they could have ever done. 
you now have a Republican DA. And Laura Curran, who was a great, great county executive in Nassau, a Democrat. She attended a lot of the WABC events. She was law and order. She supported the PBA. You know, some other issues I wasn't supportive of. And then Jacobs, the state party chairman, the Democrat says, hey, you got to do us a solid. You got to take a Facebook picture with Tom Kaminsky. And it looked like a hostage photo she was taking. She knew she lost right there. And it's because of that she lost. To Bruce Blakeman, who was a regular guest on the um, 5 o'clock roundtable of John Katsimatis and Lydia Serrani and uh, Laura Curran does a podcast here. I talk to her from time to time. Very nice woman, originally from Canada. And I said, Laura, why? And she looks at me and she goes, it's what I ask myself every night and every day. Why the hell did I do that? But we got that guy. He's retiring. He's retired. He's leaving the state Senate. A curse on him. The Malukia, the evil eye, the Malukia on you wherever you go. You ruin this state. And in the memory of Bernard McGurk, who would never let us forget, he would say, my state senator ruined this state. We got to get him out. We can't allow him to be attorney general. I'm telling you, that helps so much that Bernard would mention that on the most powerful radio station in the nation. Every morning, the number one morning show, Bernard McGurk, Sid Rosenberg, obviously Sid agreed. But that was Bernie's passion. The Kaminsky would have to go. And he got crushed running for district attorney. You imagine the chutzpah, state chairman Jacobs, who is from Long Island, thinking, oh, he'll win. Hey, November 8th, there's a red wave out there. That red wave, that law and order red wave must continue. Got to roll on because he's on the outside looking in. There's a lot more of them that got to go. A lot more of them. Let's go, if we can, to Cat, who is calling all the way from Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Cat. Curtis, thank you so much for taking the call. So I was concerned when I first put you on, you said something about you were against the walls at the station. So I'm like, is he not going to be on the radio? No, of course I'm on the radio. No, 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 no. I, what no, I said is I that I... I was I, like, oh, my God, is something going on at the station that he's not going to be on that often? So that's the main reason why I called. No, no, Kat. Rest assured, I'm on so much that there are others here who go... You are. He's, I know, he's, he's eating all the talk uh, real estate. And I tell my colleagues, hey, go ahead, take a vacation. Go ahead, take a day off, take a mental health day, and I will volunteer do to do it. your time. And you may never exactly. get it back. Yeah, I do the same thing. And, and, and you know, and it's, it's a vicious cycle. Well, I tell you what, Kat, there was uh, a guy named Wally Pip. You can't tell an I tell that Stunad, Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. I say, you're a Met fan, Frank, but Yankee fans remember Wally Pip. Great first baseman, had a migraine headache. Not because he was ginned up, but a legitimate migraine headache. Back then, right, you know, no cell phones, no house phones. The manager goes to the hotel room. You know, they all stayed in the same hotel. And he goes, what's wrong, Wally? I got this migraine headache. Tell you what, take the day off. We got this kid, you know, he goes to Columbia University from Washington State. We'll play him at first. 
Don't worry about it. One day you're a great ball player. You, you deserve the day off. Guy's named Lou Gehrig. He never missed a day after that. Wally Pip, who's Wally Pip after that? That's me, the Iron Man. Take a day off. Go ahead. I need a mental health day. You know, I need to shoot craps at the Borgata. I need to snore stuff all over the car. Whatever, you know, whoever it is, I don't care. I always volunteer. I say, I'm there. I'll do it. And they never get it back. Let's go to Joe and Ryan Beck. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, uh, Curtis, uh, you stole my thunder when you forgot last night that you hosted the uh, Brian Pack, um Subway Series rally. And I was at that rally. And you're right. We, you had to have protection. It was really, we were pretty angry as mess fans about you. Joe, remember the whole Brian Park was packed on one side, Mets fans, the other side, Yankee fans, equal numbers. Yeah. Cops in the middle, you know, with the iron uh, uh, horses to keep people separated. Right. Rudy chooses me to be host. I should have recused myself because he had Michael Kay, you had John Sterling, you had the Met broadcasters. Rudy goes, no, my boy, Curtis, he's a Yankee fan. I said, Rudy. You know I'm tearing into these Met fans. I hate them. I despise them. Did I not go for the jugular, Joe? Beyond the jugular, Curtis, but we still love you. Yeah, we really did. Didn't they try to come on the stage? Didn't they try to kill me and hang me? It was, it was, uh, the booing was at, uh, or were glass shattering levels. You think think January 6th was rough? If Correct. The Mets fans, if given an opportunity, would have hung me from the tree in Bryant Park. They would have done and, a, a, a Vice President Pence to me. And eaten the parts, eaten your body parts, absolutely. And, and the greatest thing about this, Joe, because you wouldn't know you were down in the crowd as, as they were booing, yeah, screaming, yeah. they wanted my, my blood. The deputy mayors, they go up to Rudy, get him off the stage, Rudy. He's going to cause a riot. Rudy goes... No, Curtis stays there. I hate the Mets, too. I, I know. I know. Curtis, um, first of all, as far as Bernie, please, you know, it's just uh, shocking. But I must say uh, my condolences to the family. But your tribute um, at the 1 o'clock hour on the day he passed and what you said from the heart, you know, really, really, I hope a lot of men heard that because that's one of the, you know, the best. Um, you know, um, uh, recruitment, if you will, uh, or, you know, please you get a PSA test. And, uh, you know, that should really be played. It was, it was quite moving and touching. Well, Joe, because we had something in common. We were both street guys, me from Brooklyn, Bernie from yeah. the Bronx. Tough. Yeah. And the tougher yeah. the guy is, like Rudy, Rudy's a tough guy. You don't yeah. want, you don't want to know about prostate cancer. You don't want to discuss it. The tougher you are... You're like you're like little sheep. <laughs> Please don't talk about prostate cancer. I might be a eunuch. I might become impotent. I don't want to take any tests. Men have died because of that ignorance. Men have died because of that fear. Hey, look, it could have been me. I had stage four. Rudy had a bad case. He was going to run against Hillary for the U.S. Senate. The whole world would have watched that contest. He had to bow out. He was so sick because yeah. we waited too long to get the test. 
Curtis, uh, has the station thought about having a uh, a day where the station sponsors on-site PSA tests, you know, for men to come down? Oh, I know. I, remember- I know, uh, Joe, uh, specifically that the station is going to be unveiling a number of things to do to promote prostate cancer awareness and getting the tests, including reviving the old prostate cancer run. You know, years ago... Uh, Eyewitness News, Channel 7. They had no affiliation, WABC, with us. We were separate entities. But they had a great prostate cancer run in Central Park. Ironically, one year, the two co-chairmen was Rudy and me. We hadn't had prostate cancer yet. And we were promoting the run. 10,000 people would show up, mostly men. Some of them prostate cancer survivors who were so good. And you see, sometimes when there's management change, probably the general manager then or someone had prostate cancer, so it was a very personal thing for him. And, you know, he either retired or he left. Somebody else came in and no more cancer, prostate cancer. When's the last time you saw anything involving prostate cancer awareness? And this station is going to revive it in the memory of Bernard McGurk. And you're going to hear his voice constantly. It's almost like he'll be talking to us from Radio Heaven, because I know he went right through the pearly gates. Now, when it comes to me and some of the other Gabons here, (laughs) uh, we may have to get an asbestos suit for where we're going. Let's go to Patricia and Mamaranak, your turn to be heard here at WABC. Patricia. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Uh, Um, I've had better days, Patricia. Oh, me too, trust me. Um, I was talking about the no bail thing here in New York. Um, my son's car had gotten stolen, and the police actually chased it, but they let it go because they said, you know, after it hit 70 miles an hour, they can't even really arrest the person. They get an appearance ticket, <laughs> and it makes no sense to me at all. Um I'm from a family of cops and everything like that, but it's ridiculous. They just steal cars and they play like a game. It's like real life Grand Theft Auto. It's ridiculous. Patricia, let me let me trace the roots of that and the catalytic converters. They can get underneath the undercarriage of a car, and in two minutes they can take out your catalytic converter because they practice, practice, practice. They can do it blindfolded. Uh, a lot of these guys come in from Newark, from Essex County in New Jersey. They had chop shops galore there. They come into Suffolk County, Nassau County, Westchester County. They go into Staten Island. They go over the Outer Bridge Crossing, the Gothos Bridge, the Bayonne Bridge. And they're l- looking for certain makes and models. And in a lot of these communities, you know, you're parking, you know, right out in the street or you're parking, you know, in the not a garage, but let's say outside of the garage because you, you got to go to work in the morning. And they steal that car, and they're off. And then all of a sudden, local law enforcement gets into a chase, and they know that the cops cannot pursue them. Cannot. And they get back to Newark. And you would think that the other mayors of the municipalities that are being affected by this would sit Ros Baraka down in Newark, who knows all of this is going on, who knows that it's an incubator for car theft and for stealing catalytic converters and for driving cars, whole cars with the New York plates on it or the New Jersey plates, they'll go out of, across the Outer Bridge Crossing. They'll go right into a container. 
They get put into a cargo transport freighter. Next stop, UAE, Oman. It's ridiculous. Serbia. With the, with the New York license plates, right? They sell it because it's a valued thing to have New York and New Jersey license plates. You're driving around uh, Serbia with a car that was stolen off the streets of New York or New Jersey. That's considered a premium car. Oh, my God. It was a Ford Echo Sport, so that's, like, ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Patricia, but, it's going to take a lot. It's going to, unfortunately, have to get worse before it gets better. Just like it did before Rudy was elected. Remember, yeah, David Dinkins is a nice guy. You know, we need a black mayor, you know, bring racial harmony. We got none of that. We got two race riots, right? Crown Heights and Washington Heights. 2,000 people a year murdered. 5,000 unsolved shootings. And then, a second time around, Rudy Giuliani barely beat David Dinkins If it hadn't been for Guy Molinari, the borough president of Staten Island, calling for a secession, a secession vote, Rudy would not have won. We would have had another four years of total anarchy and chaos. But Mr. Nice Guy, David Dinkins, say, nice guys finish last. Your mayor, you got to be tough. You got to be willing to say no. And you got to be able to say, I'm going to lock you up and throw away the key. I don't care if Al Slim Shady Sharpton has a demonstration day sure. I'm not giving you $10,000 a month to stay at the Carlisle Hotel in cash like Bloomberg did. Let's get it on because I'm straightening up New York. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow. What a busy week of animal welfare news, Mrs. Sliwa. You were definitely going 24-7, 365 this week. Hey, what happened there, Ken? You didn't get Nancy on the line. What's going on here? Oh, no, I'm here now. And I'm blaming it on Ken. Got to pimp slap him around his muscle head. Anyway. Yeah, no, it was his fault. I was saying that uh, this has been a busy week for you in the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division in terms of all the animal-related cases that have involved dogs standing their ground for the people who raise them as little puppies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like from uh, New York to Boston, yeah, there's uh, certainly a lot of dogs out there who are going above and beyond to defend their owners. I have never experienced so many articles written by so many different kinds of publications about the hero dog Moose, the Irish Terrier, 
who in Prospect Park, right near the picnic house, where a lot of the uh, mostly women will walk dogs in the morning before they go to work and then again at night when they come back from work, was uh, savagely attacked by an emotionally disturbed man with dreadlocks. Everybody knew him. They'd seen him there. He was harassing people, attacking people on a regular basis. Finally, he attacked Jessica at 6 in the morning. He was just about ready to hit her over and over and over. And then Moose stood his ground. Could you explain what Moose did and how he ended up being victimized by this crazy person in Prospect Park? Yeah, so this crazy person um, has been living in Prospect Park for, uh, at this point, it seems like it's documented for at least three three or more years. And, you know, uh, obviously in need of help, um, issues, but uh, this person has not only attacked individuals going to the park, but attacked people walking their dogs. So there was a similar incident. So here, uh, you know, th- this um woman she's walking her dog early in the morning like a a lot of uh dog owners do uh who live near prospect park uh she had seen the man he wound up approaching her and her dog he threw onto them a bottle of liquid like uh, it was urine and then started to uh, try and attack this woman now he walks around with this big uh staff like a pole in his arms so he hits her but then the dog reacts, and then he winds up hitting the dog, and uh, you know. So then he runs off, and you know, not to be seen. The dog uh, later died from its injuries, and it's been this whole runaround in terms of trying to address this issue of locating this individual. So the cops have really dropped the ball. Like I mean, the varieties of stories that have detailed. Uh, what's gone on since this initial attack and it was reported, it's, I mean, it's really disturbing the lack of uh, any action by the authorities because, like, I understand that they tend to not treat, um, you know, because, again, they're not even addressing this as a crime against the woman. So that's already dropped. So now they're just looking at the, the crime against the dog, the fact that the dog was killed. But... They have now at this point closed the case, but the series of things that they were having, uh, not only this, you know, uh, the dog owner, um, but then also other individuals who were trying to help uh, apprehend this this guy. Uh, it's like the hoops that they had to run through dealing with the authorities. Oh, you have to get a picture. Oh, no, no, we need a better picture. Oh, you have to come for a ride along. Oh, well, you have to wait 30 minutes. They they had a police reports filed. They lost the police reports. Oh, we don't have them on file. You know, they have the numbers. It's like they're going out of their way to really not address this issue. And then the uh, local uh, representative, she is going out of her way to tell people, no, you don't call 911 in these situations. This isn't the, the cops aren't going to be helping in this situation. So it's like this. So in other words, anyone who lives around the park and who wants to, you know, go to the park and enjoy the park or walk their dog in the park, pretty much the official word is you're on your own. So this is where like this whole story started. And I mean, we were there this weekend 
And, I mean, you, you saw how it was this weekend. I don't know if you want to, like, fill in, like, on what happened on that day when we were there as well. Oh, yeah. Well, our first venture into the park on a patrol consisted it was a family affair with myself. It was Nancy, who is the director of uh, Guardian Angel Animal Protection, and my oldest son, Anthony, who's an intern here at WABC. He's 18. He was a junior guardian angel for three years in Washington Heights, and he graduated. He's now a patrolling guardian angel. And we uh, began to patrol in that area near the picnic house. Now, a lot of liberal progressive Democrats, you're not going to find anyone wearing a MAGA hat around there. Not in that crowd, that's for sure. And yet we got a positive reception. Now, everyone would have said, no, no, they're going to drive you out. They don't want you in the park. But the people were receptive. They were giving us information. There were still posters up of the guy who was wanted and they were just uh, appalled that the police were forced to drop the investigation and that their city councilwoman was telling them, never, ever, ever call the police. Never. Everyone was so completely aware of this story. And the minute that we started talking with them, oh, yeah, when we heard they dropped the case, I was so upset. Like, every single person knows about this story. Because everyone there, they, I mean, think about it. That's one of the, the wonderful things about living in that neighborhood, that you get to sort of take advantage of living near such a beautiful place. And when we were there during the weekend now, the amount of – first of all, it, it's completely packed out with people. And the families, children, there's little, like, sports going on everywhere. And it's not, like, necessarily organized sports. It's like You can tell it's, like, community things, like – groups of 10 kids or 12 kids, but it's everywhere throughout the park. And not once during the whole time we were there did we see one cop. And this is a place where you have families and children frequenting. And like, and then what happened there, right? Like later that day, actually at the same time we were there, a different part of the park. Well, imagine, Nancy, you're a police officer assigned to the local precinct, and you're being told by the councilwoman, I don't want you in the park. I want every man and woman in a uniform out of the park. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I can't imagine that represents what the constituents would state, right? They would want to be feeling safe in the park, and they would want to feel safe bringing their children there or bringing their family there or walking their dogs there. Like, I I don't think anyone wants to feel unsafe in the park. So – I think the fact that this local councilwoman is sort of inserting her opinion to the detriment of people who are park goers, because uh, during the time we were there uh, in a different uh, part of the park, there was an elderly man who was beat up, who was beat with a baseball bat in the park. That's right. An elderly Asian man who was assaulted with baseball bats, almost killed was just a half mile away from us on the other side of Prospect Park. But imagine you have elected officials there who are very uh, progressive, Democrat Socialists of America, who are basically telling the cops, we don't want you in the park, we don't want our constituents calling 911. So if you're a cop, you finally figure, hey, you don't want us in the park, guess what? We're not going to come in the park. And now you're left to your own means. And imagine it took a dog getting killed to bring attention to this, this went viral all over the world. There's been 
Five articles written in the New York Times, four in the New York Post, two in the Daily News, the, the Globe and Mail, periodicals across the world about the heroic actions of Moose. And every person who has heard of this story is befuddled at the fact that the powers to be will not continue to search for this emotionally disturbed man who has assaulted other people in the park, other women, and other dogs. And we have told everyone, we're going in, we're bringing him out, we're going to get him the help that he needs, and we're going to be protecting the women while they're walking the dogs, which they have to do 6 to 9 in the morning and then 6 to 9 at night. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, like just that level of attention that's um, you know being brought to this is so super important. But, you know, so it, it extends in, in so many different realms, like, you know, your your pets or your family. But then in this situation, too, they're also your protectors. So, you know, to to have so little respect for the fact that, you know, someone's, you know, pet who's defending them was killed. And then the, it's really being swept under the rug is is sad. It's a really sad commentary. And I think that's why a lot of people are outraged about this it's that there's no follow-up and the police have dropped the ball and you know it's almost like the like I said, the local official the re- official response is to go out of their way to minimize this scenario when it really has to do with safety for everyone who visits the park no one wants to feel unsafe walking into the park in any circumstance and you're basically giving the green light for anyone to do whatever they want within the park and, you know, to heck with whatever happens and you're on your own. Like, that's that's the official response. And that's not acceptable. Well, think of it. The most powerful man in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, lives right there across the street in a brownstone. He's lived there for many, many years. He's a Brooklynite. Uh, Bill de Blasio, the former mayor, has two houses right there on 7th Avenue and 11th Street, two blocks from the park where Moose, the dog, was attacked. Anthony Weiner, who's on with me Saturday's Left versus White, he was born there. He went to school there. He represented the area there. Remember, people were coming up to me talking about how they listened to me and Anthony because they always loved him as an elected official of that area, although even Anthony said he couldn't get elected there now. He's not liberal and progressive enough, and yet no action. Now, that leads me to the other story taking place simultaneously our numbers here one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. It's the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, up in Boston, in Roxbury. I spent a lot of time there in the eighties organizing Guardian Angels, Mattapan, Dorchester, Roxbury, uh, and uh, a ninety-one-year-old black woman, a civil rights icon. She was the first woman black woman of color to work in the public school system in Boston. She rose up through the ranks, really fought for civil rights there. She's walking her dog in the park in Roxbury, a dog named Bailey. A man comes up behind her, knocks her down, tries to rape her in the park. She kicks him right in the three his three-piece set. He pulls out a knife. He stabs her five times repeatedly trying to kill her, and barely stood his ground. The dog attacked, attacked the perp, ripped him to shreds. The guy ran away into the darkness. They're still looking for him. Luckily, the 91-year-old African-American woman will survive. She's recovering. 
Here's another case of men not standing their ground, or no men around, but Bailey, who she had raised from a puppy, standing his ground, not running away. I mean, the guy is stabbing her over and over. Could have easily stabbed Bailey and probably tried, but Bailey just attacked this guy and ripped him to shreds. Yeah, and and what a great uh, story of, you know, defense, right? Because had she not been walking with her dog, you know, she would have been completely vulnerable. The only thing that stopped the continuation of the attack was the fact that her dog was uh, starting to attack the attacker and then chasing him away, and he ran away. So, you know, they're still on the lookout for him. But, again, that's the, that's the benefit of, obviously, uh, you know, having a dog. And then, you know, I mean, and look at that, 91 years old, and you can't even walk in a park without being threatened in that nature. And it was the dog that saved her because but for the dog, like the attack would have just continued. I mean, she wouldn't have been alive. The dog saved her life. And it was interesting. They had a press conference right there in Roxbury. Actually, all the men were there puffing out their chest. We're not going to allow this anymore. And the women who were there said, what prevents you from protecting us when we have to go out at night? And they had no answers. You see, what I'm finding is both here in New York, Boston, and other cities, men have abrogated their responsibility, abdicated it. They're not coming out and protecting the women, the elderly, the children, the infirm, and the animals. They're not protecting them like they used to. Uh, your your father, who came from Poland, uh, was growing up, worked for the MTA. My father, merchant seaman, 54 years. It was expected that the men would be out there defending the women and defending the animals. You know, and, and it's like it almost seems like this um, unfortunate reversal in morality because, uh, you know, previously you would have, a, I think, a lot more of that sentiment of defending your neighborhood, your neighbors, people you see. Like, you don't need to be asked to do the right thing. Like, you would just see something wrong happening. Okay, you you chip in because that's that's what makes sense. Now it's like the mob mentality. It's the exact opposite. You just have people who are willing to join in on doing the bad thing, but no one's willing to jump in to do the right thing. That needs to really change quickly because a lot of these um, uh, people who are perpetrating these offenses, they're weak. If you had people standing up to them, they wouldn't have any strength. And certainly once people start standing together, like, you know, people are standing up for each other, you know, now they're outnumbered. So, that's a very basic thing. You know, you can't just sit back in New York city. A lot of people take the videos, like they don't want to get involved, but no, you need to actually stand up and do the right thing. And here now the dogs are doing the right thing. So we should be respecting that very much. So well, no, there's a lot of women. They come up to us and ask, what should we do to protect ourselves? So they talk about pepper spray. They talk about mace. They talk about maybe having a knife or maybe even a gun. Uh, if they can legally carry, if they can get a permit, and I always tell them the best defense is a dog. The dog, if you, you walk in with your dog, look at these two dogs. They stood their ground. We talk about standing your ground in a state like Florida where legally you're protected in defending your property, defending your family, defending your store. You can stand your ground. Look at the two cases. The dog was the one standing the ground defending the women that raised them as puppies. I mean, and, and that's where that, um, you know, mentality comes in with 
you know, animals that you have that relationship with, they are going to stand up for you. They are going to defend you. So that's by their nature, that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they're inclined to do. You don't need to ask them. It's like that's how they respond. And so, you know, again, in both situations, uh, the dogs did defend their owners. Unfortunately, uh, one of the dogs perished. But, you know, in both situations, the owners are alive. So, you know, again, it, it just it speaks volumes for the nature of the dogs. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Lamar in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lamar. You see? You see, Ken, the muscle head. I'm telling you, this guy's a real stunad, our telephone talent coordinator. By the way, uh, Nancy, you should know that he comes to work for the worst side at the other side of midnight, the Frank Morano show, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. And two out of the five days, he gets lost. He gets lost. So here he has a caller up here. He doesn't stay in touch, in contact with him. He just leaves him there. In the meantime, he's having a conversation. Well, we were ready to talk to him. What a stonad. You see, I... Why can't I have my crew that I have on the weekends? I got Broadway Bill Lee, right? I got Avery, the telephone talent coordinator. I, I got to have the JV team here. It's like, like I've been doing this for 35 years. Uh, pardon, pardon. Uh, we're talking animals here. More important than the, the problems I'm dealing with, the Frank Morano crew. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. I want you to listen Nancy, uh, momentarily we're going to have the audio up for you. Okay. But the other uh, day on the Joe Rogan show, uh, I've been at war with Joe Rogan. Uh, he's a musclehead in his right, in his own right. But I sided with Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, and uh, Nash and Young in their battles with uh, Spotify over their playlist while they were supporting Joe Rogan. He took great umbrage to that. But he was having a conversation with Tulsi Gabbard. And I think he must have been smoking uh, a joint because he's known to be smoking blunts uh, on the air. And I want you to listen to what he was telling Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard had just left the Democratic Party. You figure he's talking about what what she's going to do in a political future. But he must have been in a drug-induced psychosis because he was telling a story of a friend of his who was a teacher who was telling him of a girl in her class who wasn't going to the female laboratory but instead had to go in a litter box in the classroom. Well, you, you listen to it. Maybe maybe you can understand this. I certainly can. There's kids. Ready for this? My friend, his wife, is a school teacher, And she works at a school that had to install a litter box. In the girls' room, because there is a girl who's a furry who identifies as an animal, and her mother badgered the school until they agreed to put a litter box in one of the stalls. So this girl goes into the litter room or to the the girls' room and urinates or whatever. I don't know if she poops in it. That's pretty gross. (laughs) Like, if you could teach your cat, by the way, here's the thing. If you could teach your cat... To use the toilet, you would. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Like, you don't want a box of piss <laughs> yeah, in your house. Right. It's the worst. I've had cats my whole life. <laughs> it's the worst thing about having cats. you got to clean that box of piss every day. Yeah. Like, it's the greatest <laughs> thing about dogs. They go outside. Like, 
You're, you're a the human. The cats got their humans trained. <laughs> Imagine how crazy that is. You're a human being, and you prefer a litter box. You want to piss into a, a pile of sand yeah. rather than use a bathroom yeah. that you could flush the toilet, wipe yourself like a normal person. Like, you're so crazy with uh, what you think an animal is that not only have you said this, but you've conned the school yeah. into putting this litter box in a girl's room. Yeah. Which is bananas. It is. Now, amazing is Tulsi Gabbard, right? Gabbard, 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 whatever. You know, Frank Moran was in love with her. She won't do an interview with him. He, he opines for her. She doesn't know what to say. You, you know, she, this is like, I don't want to venture into this territory. Now, I was a doubting Thomas, as you know, Nancy, because I don't like Joe Rogan and he doesn't like me. But our weekend producer, Kevin George, who's from Westchester, told us there is a school in the Westchester School District where, in fact, this there is a case where a child is a furry, identifies with being an animal, and the teacher was ordered by the superintendent of schools in that area, I think it was Mamaronek, I'm not quite sure, to put a litter box in the classroom, in the closet, and when the young girl has to relieve herself, she goes in the litter box. Yeah. Um, You're stunned. I'm stunned. But apparently (laughs) this is happening. Yeah, it is happening. I'm not uh, 100% sure how, you know, how many places are going along with it. Although clearly some school districts are treating it seriously uh, enough to address or address parents or come up with protocols for this. So it's not just like a, a, a singular instance. There's enough uh, places where this is happening. I mean, it's, um, hmm. I'm not sure what to make of it, to be honest with you. It, it's, it's interesting. I'm more, I'm more fascinated by the official responses to it, uh, given that it's certainly a claim that's being made at this point now by, at least some number of young people, and how, how to see, like, the official responses are occurring. Have you ever known of anybody who has ever identified themselves as being an animal as opposed to a human being? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, there's, a, there's this whole phenomenon, apparently, of furries out there, of children. Uh, I don't know if it's... Uh, based- I mean, yes, I mean, and that's the thing, right? So... I'm not sure, like, maybe depending upon how young of a person you're talking to, right? Because it could just be that, you know, young children are expressing, like, some level of empathy, right? It's not that they're identifying, per se, with an animal, but they're just, you know, empathetic to animals, which I think is something that's normal for you know, most people and probably as kids, right, expressing it. But, you know, it, it's like this weird PC response that, uh, you know, these like different school districts, they feel the need to have in relation to it. So uh, there's actually a school in Ottawa, uh, Canada, where there was enough uh, parents reaching out saying that, oh, this is what we've heard about this school, and this is what's going on, 
and we're trying to verify is is this happening? Do you have litter boxes in in a bath? Like they didn't know. Like there was that much of a concern that the school district put out a message to all the parents to let them know, and then also somehow qualifying it to say, oh well, if your kid does identify this way. We're also not discriminating against them. It's like, wait, what? Like, it's just so confusing, <laughs> this response. It's it's crazy. But let's deal with the other issue. Joe Rogan is obviously a dog guy. He likes dogs. Uh, yes. You, you heard his comments about cats. I did. I did. I did. Uh, let's address that issue because I've heard that from dog owners, too, who make fun of me because they say, well, well what do you spend your whole life uh, changing cat litter, you know, with your 18 rescue cats in the apartment you share with your wife, Nancy? Well, yeah, okay, so first of all, if if you live in New York City and you have a dog, then you're walking your dog outside. So you might not be, you know, cleaning up a litter box, but you're having to clean up whatever they do when you're walking them outside on the sidewalk. So I don't really see any difference. It seems a little worse to be publicly shaming yourself by picking up your your dog's business on the sidewalk as opposed to in the privacy of your own home. But that's just my opinion. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. (laughs) I think he just might be a cat hater. What I've noticed is dogs, they're very, you know, they're friendly. They're goofy. Like, you know, a dog will be friendly pretty much to anyone. I think a cat is a little more of an evolved relationship. You have to have mutual respect. Like the cat's not going to be cool with you unless you're cool with them. So unless you're willing to put in the effort in terms of a relationship, you might not appreciate the cat. And by default, you'll like dogs better because they pretty much like anyone they're hanging out with. Yeah, by the way, he kept referring to uh, a uh, cat urinating. And I'm saying, well, what the hell do you think a dog does out in the streets? It lifts its leg and it just lets it fly. And when it's hot out in the summertime, <laughs> it's everywhere. It's like it's a yellow stream going right down the sidewalks and block. And, and I love when, when people walk their dog like a couple houses down and they have them pee on someone else's stoop and then they walk them back home. It's like, wait, why don't you just keep them in front of your house? <laughs> like... It's like there, apparently there's no problem with dogs urinating all over the sidewalk, you know, and then you're walking and then you're picking it up. And, yeah, that's why you got to take your shoes off when you come home because you don't know what you're stepping on when you're walking in the city streets. God, you're always making me take my shoes off. Yeah, because you have to. The subway, the streets, like, come on. I mean, I feel like I'm in Japan with the Guardian Angels there. You always have to take your shoes off before you go into a house. But I tell you this much. There's some old out the cocker down the block I'm always having words with because my job is to get to breakfast in the morning. Uh, you have the harder job. you got to change the litter three <laughs> times a day. Yes. But this dog of, of hers was deciding it had to relieve itself. And so I was getting sick and tired of the fact that she was taking shots at me for having so many cats. And I said, do you ever think of getting a catheter for your dog? <laughs> you ever think of getting a catheter for your dog? It's like, look at this. It's going right in the sidewalk, right into the street. It's hotter than hell. This was in the summer. Putrid smell. I said, maybe you ought to wipe that up, huh? Man, she broke wild on me. But... 
I wonder if they could ever put a catheter on a dog to prevent at least that aspect of elimination in the streets. I mean, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that that possibility, but I just do find it odd that you know, the, the same people who will yell at me if I'm feeding a pigeon on the sidewalk, oh, they're dirty, they're this or that, they're walking their dog that's peeing on the sidewalk, and no one wants to walk through that puddle. So it seems like they're they're somewhat hypocritical, and they're not really looking at the grand scheme of, you know, the life cycle in general. <laughs> now, just, now it's, it's interesting. You, when you feed the pigeons, and there are like hundreds of pigeons now who know that we're going to feed them every day, they wait. <laughs> They wait, especially for me with the Red Beret coming out. They follow me everywhere. When I'm there with you, nobody says anything because they're all terrified of me. They say, oh, he's psycho, man. Don't say anything. But when you're by yourself, they give you grief when you're feeding the pigeons, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, uh, depending. I mean, I I feel like I have to, like, uh, sneak around like a little ninja to feed them because I do get, you know, people giving me grief. Um, I'm not really quite sure why exactly, uh, because, you know, for the most part, I mean, again, like we do everything else to maintain the premise. Like we're always making sure that everything's cleaned up. We're picking up other people's garbage. So I, I, I think we're not really getting the, the fair shake we should get, but people get very annoyed about feeding the pigeons. And again, and then there's all these like weird explanations that they'll give you. Oh, well, they're they're being fed enough. They they have enough food, like as though they, they have conducted a census and they're aware of how many pigeons are fed or not fed. Like and, and then can you so can you imagine when I walk out the door and there are like two hundred pigeons descending <laughs> upon me, and people look at that and I see the look on their face like they're they're disgusted, but they don't dare say anything. It's sort of like well, yeah, we don't want to trigger I, this guy I, I, off. Yeah, that's why I try to make sure. I always like do the the morning feeding when you leave because if I leave with you, I'm not going to get a problem. If I go by myself, it's like who knows what's going to happen. You, this happens all over the city. <laughs> people yes. they have their breadcrumbs, they have their bird feed, they go feed the pigeons, and other people will come on them and scream invectives, curse them. And I said, I said, what that. They're, they're pigeons. I, I raised pigeons when I was growing up. My uncles had a pigeon coop on top of the house. And people, they hate these pigeons. I, yeah, I mean, and again, and again it, there's no logic to, uh, you know, what this sort of uh, sentiment is, right? Because, you know, it's like anything. You're annoyed that the pigeons exist. They're there. Okay, well, they'll continue to exist. Nothing's going to change that equation unless – there's more of an official response, like, okay, we're going to do, like, a spay-neuter program for the pigeons so they're not overpopulating. Like, until you do that, they continue to be living creatures within our city, and they're hungry. So this idea of trying to starve them out as though that's going to change the equation, no, it's not. They're going to continue to be born. The only thing you're doing is making sure that their existence in the city is even worse because they're starving to death. So, wow, yeah, a, no, I, I can't get on board with that. What an entrepreneurial idea. I'm not an entrepreneur, but <laughs> condoms for pigeons. 
<laughs> this would be amazing. I'm That's telling you. That's a great idea. This would, uh, it would work because people would say, yeah, put a condom on that male bird. Anyway, um, what you got to do, Ken, musclehead of the Frank Morano show, is uh, we're going to go to a quick break. You're going to check to make sure that all these people you have listed, it's a full board, really there, and that they haven't disappeared because you've somehow vacillated. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Lots of callers. Uh, Ken Stunad has assured me that they are all in queue. So this time, let's... Uh, Let's see if they're all there, Nancy, as they appear to be. Okay. Boy, am I working with a handicap tonight. Uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, Howie, who's calling all the way from Boston. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Howie. Hi, Curtis. I'm a, I'm a fan of yours. And, and, Nancy, I just want to make a comment. I wouldn't have called until you got into a subject. But all I know is I love animals, dogs, cats, or whatever, and my favorite uh, sleeping partner is our beautiful uh, Maine Coon cat. But the fact is, if you can't love our animals, our cats, some of you can't love each other. And I really believe very strongly when people show uh, animosity towards our pets and so forth, there's something wrong with them. So you cannot but love the animals, the pets, and things that, that, that join us in our life. Well, there's no doubt how we, in fact, uh... Let's face it, they're our family members. Um, most people, if they're honest, would rather spend more time with their uh, animal family members than with their siblings or their mom or dad or grandparents or aunts and uncles, if given the choice. Look how incredible this is, Nancy, that the brave dog, the Irish Terrier Moose, gets killed by an emotionally disturbed person. It goes all over the world, all over the New York Times, four or five stories, the Post, the News, the Daily Mail, the BBC, everybody is doing a profile on Moose. Let's say, God forbid, it had been Jessica who raised the puppy. It would have been a one-day story. People, yeah. people in many instances care more about their pets, more about animals than they do about humans. Yeah, and actually, it's it's uh, curious, right? So the the caller who has a, a Maine coon cat now, Athena, she's Norwegian forest cat, and that's like uh, the closest in breed to Maine coon cats. Very big, very large types of cats. Like you know how Athena is that large size. So yeah, but I mean that's what they are. They're your family, and in that situation, like I mean, I would say. Half the cats we have, if if someone jumped in the apartment, they'd be hiding in the closet. But with dogs, it's different. You know, people walk their dogs. Their dogs protect them. So just to think about that fact, like, they don't even think twice about giving their life for the person who is their, you know, who's raising them, who's their owner, who they live with. Like, that level of camaraderie, it's like, it, it, again, it's something to be elevated, and the fact that it's being minimized in these situations, oh, it's not really that important, we're going to close the case. Like, I mean, you should really be promoting this because 
it's the best thing you could hope for. It's like this dog is doing the job that the police couldn't do, and you're dishonoring this dog's memory. I will tell you this, though. Our cat, Athena, yeah. <laughs> is like J-Lo, is like Mariah Carey, a diva of all divas. That's yeah, her, that's her personality. Very, very particular, very particular. Oh, my God, particular. It's like, <laughs> keep the other cats away from me. You know, I'm Athena. Like, she eats with her paws. Like, she picks the food up to eat with her paws. Yes, so. like a yeah. human being. <laughs> and when everybody is scrambling to get the food, she sits back. She knows she's going to get her share. Yeah. But, uh, I know what's going through her head. She goes, I'm not going to be in a scrum with those barbarians. <laughs> I'm civilized. She, yeah, she's above that. She's I'm, above that. I'm Athena. <laughs> I'm a diva. <laughs> Anyway, let's go to Loretta, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Loretta. Hi, good evening, uh, Curtis and Nancy. Good evening. Um, a great uh, aspect of this uh, animal um, program, uh, the difference between cat people and dog people. I think the battle has been going on since the beginning of time. <laughs> um I'm an animal person. Um, you put them in front of me, and I don't want to bring them home for the rest of my life and stay broke. I want them all in bed with me. <laughs> and um, I've tried to do that at times. But uh, if you remember George Carlin. Oh, I love George Carlin. Right? Yeah. Uh, he nailed it. The differences between. Oh, the cats and dogs. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, um, he, the way he put it was, I mean, I have other differences of my own, but what he said was with the glass sliding doors, right? Yeah. A dog uh, uh, bumps into it accidentally, mm -hmm. and and they, they, they hurt their head, right? So yeah. right away, immediately, they are embarrassed and ashamed, yeah. and their head goes down and their tail goes down, and they walk away very sheepishly. Like they want to try and get away with that little faux pas. Yeah. But if a cat does the same thing, a cat will bump into the glass door and really get knocked over, turn around and look at everybody in the room. And with that attitude, with the eyes saying, up, <laughs> saying, up yours, I'm a cat, right? Uh, a cat says, I meant to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah so, like, so true. Uh, like, whatever the cats do, they're so, you know, they're so proud in their behavior, and you can't possibly call them out. Like, it's just that air they carry around with them. Like, you know, you can't talk to me. That's right. They have a strut to them. They have yeah. a strut to them. <laughs> anyway, let's go to our friend Bert, uh, who has called us from time to time from uh, the war zone in Ukraine. Uh, thanks for reaching out to us again, Bert. Hey, Curtis, Nancy. Yeah, I've just been trying to keep low-key. Um, but um, I'll, I'll start calling um, in more. But I don't, I, I don't want to take away from um, Nancy's show here. Um, and I want to ask you, Nancy, I've been thinking, well, I've been trying to start um, one of these cat colonies mm -hmm. um, here. And I, I kind of have an idea from what I read on the on your website, the Guardian Angels. Um, so what should I start to do? Um, should I build some kind of um, 
they don't house outside. Uh, um, what's what, what the first step I should take to, because cats are, are great around here, you know. Yeah, I so I would say definitely, um, yeah, I would say like, uh, like uh, so first of all, like I guess whatever area you have, like figure out what type of zone you're trying to work with. So it's like if it's just your property or whatever, so you're working with, you know, like a certain space. And then if you're if you start feeding cats who are outdoors, they obviously consistently will come back because you know you're the consistent food source. Once you know like how many cats you're dealing with, uh, you know you want to make sure that like if you don't have the ability yourself to uh, maybe catch them and fix them, I would just look into any any places like locally because. I mean, there's a lot of groups that do this, right? You, you catch a cat, you fix them, you spay and neuter them, and then they stay in the area. And then the only thing you do beyond that is you're just sort of feeding them daily, and then you create little shelter spaces for them. So that's the thing. It, it's almost like there's all these cats that are running around in the wild, but once they have a, a zone where this is like their safe zone, oh, this is their food zone, okay, you have to fix them because obviously if you don't do that, they're going to have like tons of cats. And then plus, if you don't get them fixed, um, like, you know, the male cats, it's like there's reasons why other cats will descend on the area because they're trying to invade. Once all the cats are fixed, it's uh, it's almost like you're creating a little safe space for the cats you have. And, you know, once they're fixed, they get the shots, and then you're feeding them, and then you just uh, make little shelters for them. So it's like very basic things. So, it, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, pretty easy to – I mean, once you get the first – uh, sort of zone set up like within your area like then you'll see how it is it's like okay the cats are there they're there every day you'll wake up you'll see them in the little housing units you set up for them they're waiting for the food they're not wandering very rarely will new cats come along so like once you set up the first spot then it's like you can sort of expand from there and you know sort of educate other people on how to do the same thing because that's what it is it's like if you live in a place where there's a lot of uh, free roaming cats or dogs, you know, until you get a handle on that, that singular area, you know, it'll seem overwhelming consistently. But once you, you know, get a handle on that initial zone, you know, fix them, set up the little housing areas, then you start noticing, okay, well, these are my regulars. This is who my group is. If a new one wanders in, you know, okay, now you fix them there. So it's like, yeah, just get a handle on one zone and work from there. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, um, when, the, when the war started, I was living in, in a house somewhere in the suburbs. and um, But then I moved when <clears throat> the bounds were falling, and I moved into a apartment building-type structure where the bomb shelter was readily available. And I, I noticed um, the, the, the cats, they, they, they congregate. They, they have their own community, and people love them. They feed them, but um, there's there's no kind of structure to it. So, um, and people love the cats, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I'd say that. that's like the the biggest the uh, the the biggest hurdle that you need to overcome is um, reaching out to uh, either some like local group that does this where they have the capability of like spaying and neutering because that's what you need to do, right? Once you get them, yeah, fixed, I, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, because that's I, always I the biggest hurdle because otherwise yeah. it's like. It's going to be a consistent population, and if you have people who are living in an area all the time, it's like at least they're committed because they're in, in that area. They, they'll see the same cats again and again, but
but once you start seeing, you know, additional ones being born, it becomes very difficult to keep track of them. So once you get a handle on the first population, then you yeah. can be very vested in those cats who are fixed because now those are the regulars and no one else is moving in. So that's kind of how you started, I think. Now let me ask you a question, yeah. Bert, because we've talked to yeah. you many times before. You're an expat. I think you came over from Connecticut. You married a yeah. Ukrainian woman. You were there when Putin uh, was uh, sending the first missiles in with his tanks, and you're there, obviously, with this recent barrage of missiles. You're in the city that is closest to the western border with Poland and Hungary, correct? Yep. And tell us, what has it been like for both humans lately in the Ukraine and also the animals? Because we saw so many refugees, especially leaving to Poland, uh, in which they had with them their dogs, their cats. They weren't going to leave them behind. Right, right. You're right. It's um, I tell you right now. Um, every time I've talked to you, it's, it's um, these bombs have fallen. You know, it, it's just coincidence. But um, uh, about a week ago, um, we had a bomb in here. Um, they took out the, the power plant, and there was no electricity for about a day. Now, um. Like I said, uh, I was living in a house before, somewhere in the suburbs, um, when I first started talking to you. Then I moved to a, a structure, like an apartment building, where there was a bomb shelter, like a hop and a skip away. So that's where I am now. And um, it's it, it's kind of surreal because people are trying to go about their lives. People are actually coming back to Ukraine because, you know, they um, either they, they – they can't stay in another country for whatever reasons. They're coming back, and it's, it's still scary for me. You know, I have my family. They're still in Poland, and and um, and I'm apprehensive about bringing them back because you never know when one of these bombs are going to fall. Now, Bert, so, uh, question: the strength yeah. of the Ukrainian people. You're an American. You're an expat, right. but you uh, weren't born and raised there. It seems that this terrorism that Putin has uh, put upon the population by bombing them instead of just targeting uh, military targets has just seemed to strengthen their resolve to resist and to drive the Russians out. Would would that be a correct observation? Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not going to be scared. I mean, what does, of course, there's always um, some fear, but they're not going to just um, cower down and just say, oh. Uh, I'm scared. You can do whatever you want. They're gonna, it, 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 as long as they're um, they have support from well from the U.S. and from other countries, they, they, they're not gonna back down for sure. Well, Bert, and, you uh, you be safe and secure. There, stay in touch with us and uh, stay in touch with Nancy because even though yeah. you're in an area that is subject at any point of having a Russian missile just drop on your head right there. And, I mean, this Putin is out of his mind. Uh, You're still interested in creating a cat colony. As you said, life goes on, average uh, daily life, and we'll help you in whatever way we can, Bert. Okay, quick, 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 um, Curtis. Yes. Um, The the WABC app, it's not – you can't access it in some of these countries here. So, um, you know, in Ukraine, Poland – you know, I, I download the app. I can't access it without a VPN. So look into that because, you know, I could get you more listeners for the WABC app, but um, you can't access it. You can download it, but you can't uh, readily um, go onto the um, app. 
So um, there's something, you know, there's some countries here in Western Europe, you can, you can go on to it. Like I think you you talk to somebody in Finland, but um, uh, you can't, you can't get into the ABC app without a VPN. So um, that's something to um Well, Bert, to Bert this is what you do. I'm going to put you on with Ken. You give him all your information. I'm going to have our crack uh, head engineer contact you directly because our owner-operators, uh, John and Margo Katsimatidis, they know that WABC is a global radio station. They know people are listening like you all over the world. You're listening right now in war-torn Ukraine, and they want to make it easier for you to access it. And I know there are a lot of Ukrainians there. We have so many here in our uh, own tri-state area who have family and friends there who would love to be able to find out what's happening here. So make sure, Ken, you dot every I, you cross every T, you get all of Bert's information. He's been calling up to our show regularly, giving us updates. I mean, here's a guy who could have left. He was an American. American passport could have walked right out of the Ukraine. Uh, He would have had the easy pass. And yet he decided to hunker down, stay there with his family, and live a normal life against the menacing of uh, Vladimir Putin. Let's go to uh, Gil, if we can, in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Gil. Thank you, Curtis and Nancy, for all you do, especially in regard to uh, uh, helping uh, animals, uh, uh, abused animals, Occasionally, I will see someone uh, on a bicycle walking their dog, and I, I cringe when I see that because I believe that it abuses the dog. They're, they're exhausted, and uh, the, the uh, owner, the, the biker, doesn't realize that the dog is being uh, pushed to its limits. And I wish that the city council or the state legislature or both would pass a law forbidding that. Well, I would suggest, Gil, uh, that you're not going to see that. Because this city council just seems not at all, the majority of them, to be friendly towards uh, animals. Uh, Nancy, we should bring that up to Robert Holden, uh, who represents uh, Middle Village in Glendale and Maspeth and is the number one uh, animal rights uh, protector in the city council. And see if anything can be done, because I've seen yeah, exactly yeah, what yeah, Gillis said. Yeah, because I've seen that as well, too, right? And. I think probably, um, you know, uh, you know, when I see people doing that, I my my feeling is that, you know, they're not thinking they're doing anything bad by the dog, but like I see the dog panting and the person's just not recognizing it, so it may be that this is just a little bit of like lack of education, right? Like people are because think about it, it's almost like having a you know, like the the dog is uh, in the inside of, you know, the apartment, and then out of nowhere they're running the dog like full speed ahead. They don't realize that it's a difficult thing to go from zero to like sixty as quickly as they're trying to do it. So I, I'm sure, because think about it, right? In their head, it probably sounds like a good thing. They're taking their dog out for a walk. It's getting some fresh air. It's running. It's getting exercise, but. They're not, um, you know, maybe necessarily aware of enough about that. Maybe it's a little too quick of a pace or something like that. So it, it might be that, uh, you know, you can have a little more uh, education on things like that. But, you know, in general, I think that if people are trying to do the right thing, 
And I I would say the the course of action is trying to educate them because maybe they're just not aware of some of these little nuances of what they need to do. Like, okay, before you start, you know, driving the dog around on a bicycle, okay, the dog needs to warm up and walk and maybe need to keep a slow pace. Like maybe they're trying to be very efficient in their own time. Oh, I'm trying to get exercise to walk the dog, but well, so see, yeah, you, you, you're, you're, much, you're, you're much kinder to them than <laughs> I am, that's for sure. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Very quickly, uh, Nancy, if people want to continue the conversation with you, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, she's off. Just go to uh, www.guardianangels.org. You hit the tab that says Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, and you can communicate directly with Nancy, and we'll talk to all of you same time, same place next week.